Hey everyone, uh, Joe here, co-host of The Commentarians. Now look, I know I haven't done an episode uh, since November. I have no real excuse. I, I've been busy, but so has everyone else, right? Uh, I could have done episodes, but it's been really difficult finding guests. That's my main problem. I am very busy with, if you haven't heard, I'm engaged. Uh, so there's a lot of wedding planning. Uh, I'm back to work, so I was off, you know, because I was in the hospital for so long. Now I'm back at work, but I still have time to do the podcast. The problem is, is that I put the word out there that, hey, I need a guest for the podcast. And several people responded that, yes, I'll do it, I'll do it. Uh, I got about five responses, people saying that they can do it, and uh, all of them either backed out or just completely ghosted me. So I messaged them. I said, hey, hey, you said you were interested. Oh, I can't do it this month, actually. I'm super busy. I know I said that I wanted to do it, but maybe in the future, uh, which is nice. It's great that they uh, said that because other people completely ghosted me. Just no responded. They told me they wanted to do it, said that it would be a great idea, said that they were excited, and then they disappeared. So, you know, uh, we all have excuses. We all have reasons why we can't do the show, you know, and that's fine. If you can't do it, it's totally perfectly okay. Um, it'd just be nice to get a response. It would be nice. After all, you said you wanted to do it. The fact that you don't want to do it anymore, it's perfectly okay and understandable. Just write back. Send a little message, maybe through Messenger or Twitter or Instagram. Something. Instead of ignoring me completely after you said you wanted to do the show, you know, hey, I'm busy this month. Hey, I got kids. It's, you know, really hard. Anything like that would have been nice, but I guess uh, it's a little too much for some people, but that's okay. Perfectly okay. And by the way, if you're listening to this and you think I'm talking about you, I probably am, but it's not just you. It's several of you. So... Hey, you know, it's not like I'm depending on people to write back for guests. It's, after all, one show a month. But what can I do? You know, I just disappoint my uh, my co-hosts and, all, and the audience. That's all I can do. So, great. All right. So what are we doing this month instead? We're doing... I'm going to re-release the very first episode... Uh, because I couldn't do an episode this month, I'm going to try real hard to get one out this next month. I have a great idea, so hopefully I'll be able to get that out. So, uh, so I'm re-releasing the very first episode with Adam Thrope when we talk about Passion of the Christ. Anything else I wanted to mention, uh, I am going to be doing the video series, uh, uh Staff Picks. Now, why it's, the reason it's called that is because back in the day when there were video stores and DVD stores, uh, there was always a rack called Staff Picks where the employees of the rental place would recommend movies to their customers, and it was called Staff Picks. And so I thought that that'd be a clever name because, uh, you know, i working here at the Commentarians, if you want to call it work, and um, I am... And so, and I'm recommending movies to you. Sometimes they're going to be uh, movies that have to do with faith. Sometimes I just want you to see a good movie. 
Seriously, I like sometimes it's just this is a great movie and you should watch it and here's why and that's all it's going to be. You know, uh, I I just love movies. Want you guys to see it. I think that that's pretty clear. Uh, one of the clear uh, mission statements for the podcast. So anyway, uh, maybe I'm just rambling on and on too much. So anyway, let's get back into it. Uh, from the very first episode of the commentarians, here's me and Adam Thropay. Let's roll it. Uh, hi everyone, welcome to the Commentarians. Is this Prairie Home Companion? Husband Bulge is now a part of my permanent vocabulary. <laughs> I saw a squirrel. I am going to point out real quick, this to me is like the most disturbing scene in the entire movie. Stop listening right now and go watch Firefly. Hey, this is my podcast. I'm sorry, sorry Joe. <laughs> We are saying that not only have we been wounded, we survive, and there's a God who heals of these wounds. Jesus isn't about the isms. Uh, he's about his kingdom. Because it is kind of like this idea that Jesus died for all of our sins, except when you have sex. And Jesus doesn't cover that. Uh, hi everyone, welcome to The Commentarians, a podcast where me and a friend get together and watch a movie and discuss it as we watch, uh, sort of like a DVD commentary track, but only we had nothing to do with the making of the movie and we're not experts or, uh, and now I'm just disparaging my own show. So uh, anyway, uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, uh, as always, as this is the first time I'm doing this, but as always... God, I gotta get used to this intro. <laughs> Got a, a a guest in today, uh, a close friend of mine, a father of two and husband, uh, elder at a church and all, uh, Adam Thrope. How's it going? I'm doing very well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. It's an honor to be here. Oh, thank you. It's uh, great to have you. So um, let's let's get to know you a little bit. Uh, where are you from? I'm from Downey. I'm uh, an elder at Assembly of Christians in Downey. Uh, and I also teach uh, chemistry and biology at La Mirada High School. Nice, nice. Uh, and were you uh, raised in the church? Did you come to church later in life? Did you let your life spin out of control, drugs, alcohol, <laughs> all that kind of thing, and then found Jesus? I was raised in the church. Okay, okay, good. <laughs> um, Protestant tradition. Uh, and um, legacy, right? Your family goes way back with the church. Yes, uh, my family goes way back with uh, with the church. Um, my great-grandfather and grandfather were elders. They started a Spanish-speaking church in East L.A. Um, my dad and my uncle started the church that I'm now a part of in Downey mm -hmm. um, when I was a kid. And so, yeah, I come from uh, a long line of, uh, of church leadership and... Uh, hoping to continue that on as long as the Lord allows me to. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and I, you know, I always gush over you, but uh, you're a, you're a big part. You and your dad are a big part of me finding Christ uh, later in life. You know, I was raised Catholic, as I said in the uh, in the uh, coming attractions episode, the one that we recorded before this one. Uh, and yeah, uh, my growth in Christ has a lot to do with you and your dad helping me through it. So I thought, who better to have on for the first episode than you guys? So, uh, okay. Uh, we're doing Passion of the Christ, uh, directed by Mel Gibson, written, uh, by, uh, Benedict Fitzgerald and Mel Gibson, starring Jim Caviezel, Monica Bellucci, and, um, uh, Maya Morgenstein, uh, rated R for graphic violence. Uh, it got a 49% Rotten Tomato rating. 
on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, certified rotten. Uh, 80% audience score though. So there, this, this movie seems to be, uh, critic proof. Yeah, uh, it, it won the People's Choice Awards that year. Right. And so, anyway, let's get started. Okay, so we are at one second on the, at the count of three. I'm gonna do three, two, one, then press play. And that's when you guys press play. So let's get going. Three, two, one, and play. Alright, lightning, old timey painting, backing up. Icon Productions. Okay, so you guys should be synced up if that's uh, for the, if you're watching the movie with us. Um, okay, so uh, what is your history with this movie? Like, what do you do? You remember watching it for the first time, hearing about it? Uh, yes, uh, I remember watching it first. The first time I remember hearing that it was going to be coming out. Um, a good friend of mine, a good Jewish friend of mine, and I, we had uh, discussions about it. There were concerns because of Mel Gibson's history. And just his relationship with the Catholic Church, right? And his, you know, incidents in his life. People were concerned there might be some anti-Semitism in the movie. Sure. Um, and of course, the Catholic Church historically has used lines from the Gospels to justify anti-Semitism. Right. And specifically, the line about His blood be on us and on our children. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, under the pressure, Mel Gibson decided to not translate. That statement, the crowd still yells it in Aramaic, but nobody, unless you know Aramaic, you're not going to know, hear them actually saying that. Right. Um, And in some ways it's good because if you don't understand the context of that statement, then then it doesn't really do you any good to hear that they said it. it. Yeah. I mean, unless, you know, a a good uh, understander of the Gospels, someone who, (laughs) that's a bad word, (laughs) understander, (laughs) a good uh, teacher of the Gospels knows the context that, that Matthew brings out that, this was a band of thugs right. hired by the chief priest. This does not represent a typical devout first century Jew. They would never say that because they understand the principle in both the Torah and repeated in the prophet, specifically Ezekiel, that the children are not punished for the sins of the father. Right. So, that, so these that, people obviously had nothing. They just didn't right. know what they were talking about. They were angry. Yeah, they were worked up things. into a frenzy. And th- again, the, the the typical person was at home celebrating Passover with their family while all this is going on. They, Which, the people love night, Jesus. Great night to crucify yeah. somebody under, yeah. under the shroud of. <laughs> right, under the shroud of darkness when everybody's at home celebrating. Nobody has any idea what's going on. Right. And so the context of that statement is just a band of thugs making a, a, an idiotic statement that has mm-hmm. no theological basis and shouldn't really be con- counted or considered worthy, unfortunately. Right. People have used that to justify doing terrible things, which yeah. is irrelevant. Yeah, um, and that's the thing is that uh, Mel Gibson said that his brother actually said, if you don't put that in the movie, then you're a pansy. He didn't use the word pansy, but, you know, mm-hmm. trying to keep it clean. And so mm-hmm. Mel Gibson had to, like, he felt compelled, like, I have to do it because it's in the, it's in the, it's in the Gospels. Mm-hmm. And so, but again, like you said, without... You know, he made he didn't want to subtitle that because of what it, you know, the reputation that he already mm-hmm. had. It would yeah. just make things worse. Right. Um, as I mentioned before, though, in the uh, coming attractions, um, this uh, scene here, a lot of this movie is based on the writings of a blind nun uh, Whose name is? Let me look it up here. Anne Catherine uh, of em- Anne Catherine Emmerich, uh, who was a stigmatist. She witnessed. She had visions of the crucifixion. So a lot of scenes here. A lot of 
what, what, what am I trying to say? Uh, a lot of, I don't know if a lot of Christians understand how Catholic this movie actually is. Not that there's anything wrong with that. If it, if it's, I mean, unless you have something against the Catholic Church, there's really no reason for that to be an issue. But as, me being raised Catholic, it's just like I felt like watching this movie taken back to Good Friday masses, mm-hmm. where either uh, they, we, me and my parents would go, you know, station to station. I already explained what the stations of the cross were and explaining the. Mm-hmm. Uh, the steps to Jesus's death and burial, mm-hmm. or having children, you know, reenact it—a cute little kid with a white robe with a cardboard cross, mm-hmm. you know—and so there's a lot of Catholic iconography in this movie mm-hmm. that Christians just wouldn't recognize, and right. I, I just find that incredibly fascinating that this very Catholic movie is like it—it—it's it, it, a Catholic movie, but Christians. Took, like they love it so much, mm-hmm. they appreciate it because I don't think that in Christianity, this brutality of Jesus's sacrifice is really focused on so much as much as his resurrection, mm. uh, why he was, why he's dying, why he resurrected, wh- the reasoning behind it, the gospel message, where as as the the Catholic Church kind of emphasizes mm-hmm. those last twelve hours of his life. Mm-hmm. And so when a Christian sees this, they already know everything that happened beforehand. So to them, it's just a powerful movie mm-hmm. that uh, for Catholics, it's like, oh, yeah, I know this. I know the story. <laughs> I've experienced this every every Good Friday of my life growing up because it is a brutal movie. It is incredibly, you know, violent and gory. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, in, I'm in the boat of that, of not knowing... Uh, the about the the mystic influence of the nun that you mentioned. Right. Um, you know, in, in college I read the you know about the Julian of Norwich, another uh, Middle Ages mystic, and her meditations about and her stigmatas. Um, I read about that in you know my college literature class, English lit class. Right. Um, but yeah, I really knew nothing about this, and so yeah, when I I, I just for me the first time that I saw it, I didn't know that he had based it upon that. Or may, I might have known, but really had no clue how much like, of it is, yeah. is that, and how much of it is just the typical Hollywood interpretation right. of events. Like every every movie that's been made about Jesus, other than the Gospel of John and the the one that's called the Jesus movie, which is word for word the Gospel of Luke, and the and the Gospel of John is word for word the Gospel of John. Mm-hmm. Those ones are pick a gospel and they stick to the you know the words of that gospel right. but most the vast majority of hollywood movies made about the crucifixion there's all kinds of embellishment and adding artistic license and looking at right. the, the point of view of another character right so, so i don't so when i see this movie i i not having been brought up in the catholic background i have no clue what is that and what is just mel gibson's imagination right you know um so for me there was so many things that i like the not biblical that are because in uh, evangelical Christianity, following the Protestant tradition of sola scriptura, mm-hmm. like we stick to what do we know from what the Bible says, and right. of course, our we interpret it in the light of the historical and cultural context. Right. And so, yeah, so many of these things, I'm like, they're not accurate. In some ways, they misrepresent the gospel story. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't think of it as any worse than any 
typical Hollywood movie right. about the, the Passion of the Christ. Like this being one one scene, uh, she saw uh, Satan tempting Christ for one one last time, attempting to get him to change his mind. Um, or, but like let's let's take a a, 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 pit, a typical a basic scene where Peter denies uh, Christ three times. And then he remembers when he hears the, crow, the 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 rooster crow, he remembers. Oh, Jesus told me that I would deny him three times. Mm-hmm. What have I done? He runs out screaming or crying, mm-hmm. which he does in the in the Bible. Mm-hmm. But he runs into Jesus's mom and he begs her for forgiveness. Yeah, that's not a bad scene to have in a movie. It it, it adds to the drama. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with adding that scene, but that is once something that she saw in her visions. But I don't know if. I would say that there's anything wrong with that, especially because watching it, it doesn't affect the story other than just making it more, you know, dramatic, dramatic, creating a beautiful, a really sad scene where, you know, my my favorite character in this movie, uh, uh, Mary, Jesus's mom, Mm -hmm. phenomenal scenes with her. Yeah. And so it just, yeah, I, I don't see... Yeah, just a lot of those kinds of scenes, which, again, uh, doing the research for this is like, oh, that's that I didn't know that that was from her visions. I didn't know this mm-hmm. was from her. But yeah. I don't know if that really affects anything at all, unless it's overtly, like, you know, uh, it goes against the the uh, the story of the, the gospel, the message of the gospel, right. which I don't think anything does from what I've seen. Right. Well, in, in Protestant churches, generally, um, the... Scripture itself is read, mm-hmm. and so people have a pretty good idea of what is biblical and you know what is true to the biblical text, sure, and, and what is added. So, and again, I, you expect that Hollywood movies people are going to take liberties and fill in gaps because it's not like you know it's a straightforward narration of every single second that right. Every single know. gospel writer uh, picked and chose specific things that they wanted to emphasize or bring out sure. uh, of the story. And, of course, not every, you know, the Gospel of John at the end, he says if everything was read, it couldn't fill all the books. Yeah. So there is a lot of things that obviously are not filled in, but mm-hmm. about a person's life yeah. um, of 33 years or even just one week of his life or even three days of his life. Right. Here we have a, um, a Judas, uh, the first scene with Judas, or the second scene, we saw him accepting the 30 pieces of silver, mm-hmm. um, was not a believer and converted to Catholicism after the making of this movie. <laughs> and I think, done with the actor? The actor, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so, a very dramatic kiss on the cheek. And, uh, yeah, um... Judas, you betray the Son of Man with a kiss. So that's an actual quote from yeah. the Gospels. And then they've come to arrest him. It this, I mean, right off the bat, from this moment here, it starts becoming an incredibly gruesome kind of movie. And I keep going back and forth with how I hmm. reconcile that because I like on some level, you know. Yeah, it, it it affects us, you know, because it's so brutal. It, it's that much more powerful. It affects us, you know, severely, like really powerfully. But then, on the other hand, there's nothing else about the gospel. 
There's yeah. no, you know, the, there's very, there's some flashbacks, but there's very little mentioned about why he's dying. You know, mm-hmm. his, his, the way he told us to live our lives. There's a moment where he resurrects at the end, like if, you know, after this entire, you know, hour and a half beating that he was received. And I don't know, like, I, I on some level, like, I, I keep thinking as a Christian, I think that it's a pretty good movie. It yeah. lacks in, you know, in that that respect, but it's a pretty good movie because we already know what happens before. We know why this is happening. We right. know everything surrounding this. If I'm going to, like, say, give my opinion as just a regular movie viewer compared to the standards of this movie, I would say that it's not very good because there's no real story here. All it is is just this brutal, like, beating of Jesus for from beginning to end, basically. Right. And so... Yeah, like, in, I think people watch it with their own they they come with their own background their own uh perception right and so for the protestants watching this that haven't had the, those background experiences they see they see the isaiah 53 and 6 or isaiah 53 and 5 i can't remember which verse it was at the beginning mm-hmm. of the movie they see that and so they see all this in light of the protestant tradition and how we're taught that when jesus was dying on the cross he was not only suffering the physical torture of the soldiers and and the the emotional abuse, but that he was suffering forsakenness mm-hmm. and abandonment by God. That God was all the the judgment that we deserve uh, right. in hell, in some sense. And we don't. There's disagreement as to how it yeah. happens, but in some sense, God was pouring it all out on Jesus mm-hmm. uh, in our place, so that way. The justice of God in, in bringing punishment could be satisfied, and uh, so the payment for the sin could be made, so that we could be forgiven. Because that's what forgiveness means. If I forgive you for breaking my laptop, that right. means yeah, I'm gonna pay for it. But somebody's still gonna pay for it. The laptop doesn't somehow. Yeah. I, I bear the loss, or you are gonna bear the loss. You pay me for it. If I said um, this, okay, Joe, I forgive you. Don't worry about breaking it. Um, that means I'm paying for it. Yeah. And Jesus being God means. When he suffered, he took on human form and he suffers. Mm-hmm. He's taken the pain himself, uh, the judgment that we deserve, so that we can be forgiven. He can say, you don't need to, I'm taking it for you. Right. Uh, so it's a beautiful thing that Protestant watchers, they have this concept. And when they watch the movie, they see that verse and they automatically have that thing. In terms of the way that Catholics view, their interpretation is more of the Romans and the Jews represent us and our rebellion right. against God. And that's right. why Mel Gibson has himself as the one putting the nail in Jim Cavazio's hand uh, right. in the scene. Um, and so they see that same passage, but they just have a different interpretation of it. So, yeah, you're right. If you if you come as an unbeliever and you don't have either background. You just want to watch a movie. Right. You just see these they're abusing this guy, and there's no context. Like, why? Like, right. why, why are they just randomly betraying this guy and you keep thinking at some point in the movie it's going to come out why <laughs> yeah. they hate this guy so much because they, they must there's got to be a reason they hate this guy nobody just tortures someone just for the fun of torturing someone unless right unless you're eli roth yeah making <laughs> hostile five <laughs> so why like what's going on and then they never find it so i can see what you understand i think 
Mel Gibson probably just anticipated. Damn. People know the general concept and the general idea, Oof. and so that was not necessary to bring yeah. out. And like you said, if he's focusing on the the twelve stations meditations, right? Then he doesn't really have a need to bring it in. Yeah, there's a lot of really, and again, um, not just the violence, but there's like horror movie elements to this. I wouldn't consider. I know that. In the past, when I was really, ne- I used to be very negative about this movie, until you know, I I my I had this conversation with my sister about um, the movie uh, Reserva- uh, Revolutionary Road, starring um, Leonardo DiCaprio and King- Kate Winslet, about a couple who's in a in a horrible marriage. They're like sick and tired of each other. They're mm-hmm. unhappy. They're tr- they're they're in ex- this existential crisis, and. Um, and so she told me, well, the reason why they picked those two people was because they were in a movie, they were in Titanic together, and there was they were this beautiful couple, mm. you know, that you wanted to make it work, you know? And mm. so now they're in a movie where that same romantic, beautiful, you know, mm-hmm. couple is in this horrible marriage. We're supposed to come in to that movie with that knowledge already. So right. it's it's really unfair to say... Well, you know, you come into this movie a complete blank slate, and all you're going to yeah. perceive is what's on screen. Right. Well, you already have the all the, all the stuff behind it. Mm-hmm. But again, as far I don't I don't know if I were to make a Jesus movie, if I'd let leave that stuff out, the you know the gospel, the you know the the resurrection, the, what happens afterwards, mm-hmm. you know, even if I were to make a movie as brutal as this, I would I would include that other stuff. Right. Well. Supposedly, he's gonna build a. Uh, he's gonna make a Passion of the Christ too, where he oh. does the resurrection. Um, but that's nothing yet. That that's just uh, supposedly. There's been no. Right. We haven't heard anything of what's gonna happen with that. Hmm. But yeah, that was my thought too. Is it kind of. It you know briefly hints of the resurrection at the end, but it's yeah, after really short. this whole thing. And it doesn't it. It's again. It's kind of without context. Yeah. Other than they expect that you bring the context to the movie, from sure. what you already know. Right. So, yeah. So now people are trying, uh, starting to figure out what's going on. Uh, not just they uh, they have arrested Jesus and they have him there. You know, standing trial in the middle of the night. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and some people are waking up and realize, like, you know, the city is, of, of, you know, is going nuts. That something's going on. Something happened to our Yeshua. Right. And, again, Mary's mother. Do, do you find it a little odd that the Romans are more sympathetic than the Jews in this movie? Um, I don't find it odd because, oh, I guess, yes and no. Um, sure. It's odd in the sense of the Rome, the the gospels pers- don't want to the gospel writers they don't want to offend the Roman Empire. So when the way they record it, they definitely put the guilt on Pilate. Like Pilate knows he's yeah. innocent and he condemns him anyway. Like they don't right. hide from that, but they they point out that Pilate knew and he was kind of felt under pressure mm-hmm. from the Sadducees and the chief priests. So he kind of gives in. He has a history of, you know, right. the Romans have told him, hey, no more uprisings. Right. If you're not keeping the people under control, then we're going to 
you know, right. punish you for that. The gospel writers don't bring that out, but no. they would, they're writing to an audience that they assume was aware of that. And they definitely don't portray Herod, any of the Herods, in a good light. Right. Um, so there's not, the gospel writers definitely have their, their perception of the Romans. Um, but generally the, 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 the Roman soldier, the everyday Roman that, first century Jews would interact with, mm-hmm. they don't really put them in a bad light. In fact, they put them in a good light. The centurions, hey, he's he shows more faith than any Jew because he yeah. says, I don't even need Jesus to come to my house to heal my son. I know you could heal him from a distance. Yeah. Um, and at the cross, one of them is going to say, this was a righteous man. This was the son of God. Sure. So for the common everyday ones, Jesus himself says as they're, you know, tearing apart his clothing and gambling for it, he's like, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Right. And that's statement is often misapplied widely in Christendom as Jesus is saying this to everyone, mm-hmm. but the context of the passage, it's specifically the Roman soldiers. Mm. Jesus understands they're just doing their job. They, they sure. probably, this, I'm not the first innocent person they've executed, yeah. <laughs> and that won't be the last because they're just following orders and the yeah. Roman law isn't a perfect system. Um, and Jesus holds no bitterness towards them. He knows they're just grunts doing their job. They don't, yeah. they don't make the big decisions. Um, and so in that sense, for those Romans, the gospel writers are pretty sympathetic to them because they understand they're just average people. Yeah. But in terms of the people in power who do order and orchestrate these terrible things, they mm-hmm. definitely have a lot to criticize them about right. Pilate and Herod and all the Herods, um, definitely not portrayed in a good light. And then yeah. it w- and the same thing, though, with the Jews. And this is what a lot of misunderstanding has happened in, traditionally in Christianity is Luke points out the Pharisees, they're, they're not down with that. Gamaliel says, why are we persecuting Christians? Let them, let them just, if, if it's not of God, it'll fall apart on its own. Mm-hmm. And this is a Sadducee thing. The chief priests are Sadducees, and the Sadducee element of the Sanhedrin, the, the ruling religious body right. of 70 people, um, is, is divided. There's Sadducees and Pharisees, and the Sadducees are the ones that, like, this is... We're going to lose our power if we don't kill this guy. Yeah. And the gospel writers bring that out, that it, it is specifically comes from this one faction of the religious leaders of Judaism. Sure. Not the Pharisee element, and definitely not Jews as a whole. The common people, they loved him. They loved John the Baptist. Yeah. They loved Jesus. Like, they they admire him. They respect him. Like, the, the gospel writers have made it very clear this is just one faction of corrupt leadership in Judaism and corrupt leaders in the Roman Empire. Everybody else... That's not who just doesn't represent them. Yeah. And unfortunately, in the history of Christianity, as we got farther and farther away from the original cultural and historical context, mm-hmm. we've misunderstood and, you know, unfairly projected things onto Jewish people as a whole that doesn't yeah. accurately represent what the gospel, what the gospel authors have stated. Right. We just. uh uh, probably the best scene in the movie just happened with uh, Jesus and Mary, the mother. I, I just love that scene so much because it's, it's they're playful and they're they they really like it makes Jesus not to, not out to be like this. You know, he doesn't make her mad, although she pretends. Mm-hmm. You know, take off your apron before you come into the house, and yeah. you know, he kind of splashes her with water. It's really right. playful. He's got a sense of humor. Yeah, it's it's just this really nice and beautiful scene between a mother and a son. Yeah, and that's why I love this movie so much. Or, well, I love that those scenes. Yeah. Still have a problem with the movie in some level, but that scene, I just I love it so much because it's 
it's funny, it's clever. Yeah. Uh, some period pieces make this silly decision to t- show something being invented that we all know is okay. <laughs> I think in Titanic, we uh, uh, Billy Zane's character sees some uh, some Picasso paintings and he says, "Oh, he'll amount to nothing. Mark my words." And we all supposed to say, "What a dummy! He's the greatest painter ever," or whatever. Yeah. And so the same thing happened here, where, where he's making tall tables. Yeah. And it's like, and we'll make tall chairs. And she's like, oh, it'll never catch on. <laughs> like it's like for some reason though, I like it there because it's so adorable. Yeah. It's such a beautiful scene. I I, I, I don't know. She is just a great actress, and I, yeah. I guess the scenes are acted and written out well. So right. all all of her scenes are just amazing. Right. And again, no gospel justification for that. It's just for Jesus inventing tall tables. Yeah. Or yeah. It's just you know. It's just imagination, artistic creativity, and yeah, you're like it adds a, a it is entertaining and it, a, a small amount of lightheartedness in right. a movie, which is overall pretty dark. Which, which, yeah, which again makes you like both Jesus and Mary more. Yeah, it humanizes them even more than right. You know that this decent guy and this mother who loves her son, you yeah, know, has to experience, has to go through this. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, th- this is. In- I just saw the movie, Last Days in the Desert, uh, starring Ewan McGregor about Jesus, hmm. and it's uh, about his forty days and forty nights hmm. uh, meditation in the desert. Um. It's a. It's basically based on the last couple of days. It's not based on the gospel or anything. Hmm. It's just like a. On, like you said, an artistic interpretation, and the thing about secular movies or secular representations of Jesus, whether it be the uh, uh, Last Temptation of Christ or Last Days in the Desert or Jesus Christ Superstar. Jesus Christ Superstar actually is probably my favorite depiction of Jesus, mm. although I don't think it's accurate. Mm-hmm. But I think when when the secular world makes a Christian, a Jesus movie, mm-hmm. I think what they're actually making, it offends a lot of Christians maybe, but what I think they're doing is they're trying to make a picture about us as a society, mm-hmm. as people, mm-hmm. as individuals, yeah. um, because Jesus is the perfect example of sacrifice, mm-hmm. of love and sacrifice, perfect example. Yeah. And yeah. so we kind of struggle with the idea of sacrifice because Jesus died for people who didn't deserve it, right. yet he still went through with it. Yeah. And so and so last season in the desert is kind of Jesus not knowing what God wants of him, not hearing, like, the very first line in the movie is, Father, where are you? And, um, yeah. you know, and in Last Temptation of Christ, it's Jesus uh, who, it, it, you know, people think that it's about Jesus succumbing to temptation coming down from the cross. It's not. It's him on the cross imagining what would right. happen if I came down yeah. and I lived a good life. Mm-hmm. And the conclusion he comes to is, I can't come down. It's not, mm-hmm. it's wrong. It would be wrong. My job is to follow God's. Yeah. And so and but we struggle with that as humans. Yeah. We feel like God isn't there. Mm-hmm. When in Jesus Christ Superstar, the the musical, Jesus is wondering, when I'm gone, are these people gonna know are they gonna be lost without me? Yeah. Why am I doing this? None of them seem to get it. I'm right. giving I'm telling them the truth over and over and over again and they're all lost. They don't even know what I'm talking about. What's mm-hmm. gonna why did you send me here if these people are just going to, you know, to go back to their old ways? Yeah. Again, all, they're making movies about us, 
about we and our struggles with with faith, with the direction we're going in our lives, with not knowing what we're doing. And they're using Jesus as kind of the example, like what if this happened, what if you were placed in this position? What if Jesus struggled with the same things we struggle with? And then at the end, it always go. It always happens where Jesus goes along and says, "I have to do this. Yeah. It is the best. It, it, like there's no option here. I have to sacrifice yes. myself for everyone. Yeah, it's the only right decision to make. And although maybe we wouldn't go through it, I don't know if I would have the strength. You know, yeah, even right. to, even for the most mundane." Yeah, uh, mission that God would put me right. on. We have a hard time doing the little things that God wants us to do yeah. in our life. Never mind something big like this. Right. Well, and you're exactly right um, that it, those of us who are brought up in the church is highly emphasized the doctrine of the Trinity, Jesus is God, and so we attribute to Jesus the divine attribute of omniscience and we think it's kind of like jesus cheating he knows everything as he goes through the life and it's <laughs> right. really easy for him because he already knows the end from the beginning and he sees everything that's happening whereas the gospel writers don't portray jesus as really ever accessing the divine omniscience you know even when he's talking about i'm going to come again and even i don't know when only the father in heaven knows it kind of indicates that he doesn't access the divine knowledge as he lives on this earth sometimes yes he can he knows what people are thinking, but that's because he's brilliant. Because yeah. he's just a brilliant man. He knows the way that people think. He knows how people are. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's able to understand. I know what you're saying. You're whispering over there. Like I know exactly what you're talking about because I know the kind of people that you are. Um, and he's able to call them out on what they're thinking and what they're saying, mm-hmm. uh, whispering to one another. And he's just a brilliant person. And so I like that people who don't necessarily have a church background, they approach it from that way. Like, just Jesus as a human, mm-hmm. what's he going through? What is he experiencing? And and that is a good perception to have. Obviously, you can take it too far, but yeah. the gospel writers bring that out. That Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, before all this happens, he's like, if it's possible, Father, let this cup pass from me. Yeah. And then, obviously, it shows that, and, and he's, he's sweating, uh, he's depressed, he's really struggles with going through with this and but he comes to the conclusion nevertheless father not my will but yours be done he knows right. like this is what i have to do it's nothing fun or enjoyable about it but he knows the good that it's going to accomplish yeah and so he goes through with it right and here we have that scene that i'm talking about it's coming up uh where Jesus tells Paul, which I, I find this interesting. He's just, I maybe this is just how Peter would remember it. Jesus telling him, you're going to turn your back on me. But what Jesus is actually saying is, don't let that destroy you. Mm-hmm. G- Satan is trying to break you down. Right. I, I know that it's going, you're going to be, you're going to feel guilty. I know you're going to feel terrible. Yeah. But when you deny me, you need to yeah. get back up and continue on this mission. Because we need, like, the world needs you. Right. And so, you know, not emphasized here, but I think that's what, like, a powerful, uh, what the Bible, like, you know, emphasizes is that you're going to screw up. Right. Get back up and get, you know, and start and, and keep going. Right. A lot of times we kind of view the the heroes of the Bible mm-hmm. as up on a pedestal, like these amazing super spiritual people but the bible <laughs> narratives 
point out these people they did they do horrible things. Yeah. They're really flawed people. They're not they're not these pie in the sky people. They're real people like you and me. Yeah. And they they majorly screw up, but they it have doesn't... the same temptations. They have right. the same and, and they fail and they mess up. They they do terrible things. Whether you know all the way you know with Abraham, with Moses, with uh, David, Paul, Peter, all these guys. But God uses them in a powerful way. Like it doesn't stop them from doing great things for God. The fact that they did do these horrible things, and sure. so it's really good that it brings that out. Otherwise, we would think I'm just I'm just not that person. Yeah. But that's the whole point. Is nobody's that person <laughs> by themselves, but by the power of God in you, the power of His forgiveness. You can change. You can grow. You can be a better person than you are. And it's yes. a process of growth. Nobody just arrives. I'm Mr. Joe Holy, uh, super spiritual, and never mess up. That's You're just right. a not realistic understanding. The, this guy is just overacting. and Maybe not overacting, but, man, is he just, like, milking it. And uh, oh, and here's more of the uh, I don't know the horror elements of the film. Yeah, uh, the Judas scenes was very uncomfortable for me. You didn't like them. I didn't like the Judas scenes again, especially not with the demons, childs, the demon children. That was yeah. He like, saw a demon uh, earlier when Jesus was being arrested, and then this is yeah the strangest, the strangest decision to really torture Judas. With these demon children, which, I mean, theoretically, oh, no, no, Satan would be upset, right? That Judas turned him in, turned Jesus in? Uh, no, it says why, I believe it says, man, I'm I'm not sure about myself. I, I believe it's somewhere, you know, the gospel writer said that Satan, you know, has entered his heart to, ah. to do this betrayal. So, definitely there is a satanic influence, and this is what it's based on. Right. But, but then... But this that, idea of the, the conclusion of that would be Jesus dying for everyone's sins. Right? Shouldn't Satan not want him to? Yeah, the Bible, doesn't, the Bible doesn't really say uh, that that Satan knows knew what God's plan was or what. That's true. It would look, I mean, because from Satan, if you depending on your perspective of Satan, but his idea is if he he feels it's a victory if I get his people to reject Jesus. Like, right. I've won. Right. If they reject him, they don't accept him as their Messiah. They say, you're not our Messiah. Uh, that's a victory for Satan. They would see, that's the portrayal. Yeah, that's And they don't point. realize that that's actually part of the plan <laughs> is that Jesus is coming first to die, to suffer and to die. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, it would have been better if people didn't reject him. Uh, yeah. And, you know, but either way, he would have still died for our sins. Sure. Uh, but unfortunately, Satan did win that small battle. He got his people to reject him, but he lost the war. Right. Because Jesus makes atonement possible for every human being. Very much so. <clears throat> do you like these Mary Magdalene scenes as much as uh, I do? Or Mary, not Mary Magdalene, uh, Mary the mother of God. <laughs> now, see, that my Catholicism <laughs> is coming out, Mary the mother of God. <laughs> Uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Because um, I, I, again, I, I just say I, I'm not a parent, but just this performance, I think, is so powerful. Like her having to witness this happen to her child, it's 
Yeah. I, it, I have I've mixed feelings about it, conflicting emotions. Because as a theologian, again, a lot of these things that are extra biblical, I don't like because I don't, you know, I definitely don't trust anybody's meditation. It's sure. just their imagination and their fantasy, which I don't, I don't deny them the right and privilege to <laughs> indulge in that and to enjoy that. And right. and if it brings them closer in their devotion to God, that's great. Um, but in terms of for me, it definitely it has no authority and uh, of little value to me at all. So in that sense, I, I don't like it because Mary, in all likelihood, is not even around at this point in time or aware of what's going on That's, until yeah. the next morning after when he's going to be executed. But I like it in the other sense of like we've been talking about what you're trying to do because it's humanizing. It's bringing that pain, helping us to feel more the pain mm-hmm. of and, and to humanize Jesus because Jesus is another person that we like to put on a pedestal and not relate to yeah. Uh, and, yeah and same thing with mary we like to put her up on a pedestal and not really relate to and so this kind of brings out the pain that the gospel writer john mentions she's there seeing jesus on the cross as he's dying in mm-hmm. agony and but it's you know it's narrative it's written it doesn't necessarily sink in our mind and so in a scene like this it's kind of bringing more more emotion yeah. To the fact of how painful it would be to see your son, uh, who you know is a good person, and you know even 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 moms whose kid is a crook, <laughs> and they know their kid's a crook, it still hurts them to see, you know, their son being thrown in jail. Yeah. Uh, you know, they like this mistake that he did isn't representative of who he is. I I know the good side of him, <laughs> and here. In this case, Mary, of course, knows that what he's being accused of is completely bogus. Right. That he's not. He has no uh, intention of overthrowing the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. and he really is the Messiah. Because uh, she's a believer, she's been. Yeah, she knows because you know an angel told her. So she's. There's no doubt in her mind that he really is the Messiah. So it pains her that her. Things are really getting messed up. Right. And it kind of helps us to identify with that. Here we have her son being abused. Judas just hanging himself and maybe eventually will fall from that tree and his guts will explode. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) However that worked. Uh, Yeah, he hung himself in the Gospels and his guts exploded in Acts. Acts. Yeah. So, and it says that he fell. So, it's kind of difficult. One of the things is... Medically, if he'd held the, if he hung there for several days, the, his gut would explode on its own. Right. Which, Which and of course, and, and may that somehow coincided with the rope eventually breaking or wearing loose as the as his stomach swelled up with gas. Right. Uh, I don't know exactly how that would work, but yeah, one says he fell, one says his guts exploded, and probably maybe the gut exploded in that preceded the falling, I would assume. Yeah. I have the first scene with uh, Pilate. Again, uh, I don't know, a little too sympathetic for my for my tastes. Right, Pilate as he has a, a obligation to maintain law and order. That's right. his job and 
and he doesn't. I mean, the Romans are evil, brutal people. They, yeah, they can't just you know execute some people willy nilly. Right. Necessarily. Now, the fact that Jesus is not a Roman citizen means he has definitely doesn't have all the rights that a Roman citizen would have. Sure. But Pilate still doesn't. He understands. Even every person has some sense of right and wrong, and you understand. Even if you're corrupt, even if you are power hungry, and if you, uh, you know, are looking to yourself, he has some people that authority over him that he has to answer to, and he's right. had trouble. And Josephus, you know, points that out. His struggles with the Romans um, and other Roman writers do as well. Sure. Um, so yeah, it probably is a little more sympathetic to Pilate perhaps than it should be but I think he's trying to make the point for what when we when the gospel writers say that Pilate knows he's innocent that he's not and he's giving them every opportunity to release Jesus right to to give up this quest this thirst for blood this desire to execute a person that hasn't committed a capital crime right the Romans they still have a sense of a capital crime versus a non-capital crime they had a lot of capital crimes way more than we have but Pretending to be um, a, a religious <clears throat> figure, even if you accept their claim that he's falsely claiming to be the Messiah, that's not a crime. It's <laughs> just whatever. I could care less. Unless he's he's right. the god of, of Rome, which is a arrestable offense, maybe. You know, if he's if he's if he's uh, you know creating an uprising, right? D- which he never to did. Be Caesar, right? Which you know, he never did. He, he never. never did. He never advocated the overthrow of the Romans. Which and, upset people, I'm Which sure. upset the Jews, because their yeah. concept of the Messiah, <laughs> some people's concept of the Messiah was that, a revolutionary who's going to overthrow pagan rule over us and mm-hmm. put us at rule over them and rule over the whole world. And so... With us in charge. Right. The the Sadducees would say. <laughs> you know, yeah. Giving us the power over all of... Right. Or the, Fer- the Pharisees more would say that. The Sadducees oh, yeah. were kind of pretty anti supernatural they didn't really believe a lot of the stories were true literal yeah. truth they just thought they're good stories and um good traditions for our culture um and so they kind of didn't necessarily even want it kind of would actually shake them up if this prophecy was to be taken literally of a coming messiah hmm. Um, so that's another reason why that's not usually brought out, but another reason why they would be anti-Jesus. They don't really want people believing in a personal Messiah. Sure. And they definitely don't want their hegemony over Jewish religious life mm-hmm. to be taken away. My kingdom is not of this world. Good line. Jesus is a yeah. very intelligent man. Yeah, he knows how to answer questions, yeah. and especially to not uh, make Pilate angry, because there's certainly things that Jesus could have said yeah. to get himself at least thrown into a dungeon. But he doesn't shy from the truth. He does, yeah, he doesn't shy from he the truth. He says the truth, but he says it in a way that makes it clear, right. I'm, I'm not a threat to your political power. Right. I'm a threat to everyone's uh, rebellion against God in their life. That's... True. That's what he's a threat to, but he's not a threat to political politicians or anything like that in terms of governmental structures. Right. At this at this point. At this point, yeah. At this point. <laughs> now there will be a time when yes, 
everybody is held accountable and the whole world is judged, including the people in power that commit atrocities and do terrible terrible things against the people they have authority over. Right. Let's tackle this question. Um, Was Jesus a real person? That's a great question. <laughs> I mean, I know we're biased as being <laughs> Christians, <laughs> right? But but let's just answer the not not if Jesus was God, not if Jesus was right. the Messiah. Was Jesus Yeshua the man that right. the Bible is based on? That all these people are right. you know following. Was he a real person? Was there a real Yeshua of Nazareth? Well, obviously we have four different individuals who wrote gospels. Um, who allegedly were eyewitnesses, mm-hmm. except for Luke. Luke doesn't claim to be an eyewitness, but he says he claims to have researched and talked to eyewitnesses of these events and and made an orderly account of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but Matthew is one of his disciples, and John's one of his disciples, and Mark is not a disciple. He was too young, but he's definitely, his mother was a disciple. Right, and like he was the closest one right. to Jesus out of the... You know the writers. Uh, well, again, he was probably too young to be a, his. His mother was a disciple, sure, and he's definitely it's, so he knows. It, it, about I mean, it's, a, it's the earliest written oh, right, account, the first gospel, right? Oh, it's the closest in terms of chronological time right. to the events. Yes, absolutely. Probably and, only ten years later. I, I went through the, the gospel of, of Mark, and it's become my favorite gospel because it is so bare bones. It is yeah. Jesus. This is a person that lived, right. and this is what happened. Yeah, it is very much a like you know it really grounds Jesus to the guy that was here right. with us and we saw these things happen and this is what yeah. he said to us right. and it's got very few quotable you know verses yeah the, most of the quotes from the gospels come from Luke or Matthew yeah but it's so like raw yeah and you can feel Jesus feeling rejected or at least you know being rejected you can feel. His like you know frustration in the book of Mark. Yeah. That I think that it doesn't. It's not lacking that in the other gospels, but the other gospels are so about the message. Mm-hmm. You know. Right. And so that's why I just recently got really into Mark. Mm-hmm. I it used to be Luke, and I still love Luke and the other gospels as well. But Mark has become my favorite because of that. Right. Now most people objectively don't really count um, the four gospels. They say, you know, that they're not trustworthy. You can't trust them to be accurate sure. accounts. It could just been a fabrication. But, again, there are non-Christians who also wrote about Jesus. There's the Roman historian Tacitus who mentions uh, a Christus who was executed by Pilate. And there's Josephus who, in two of his works, mentions Jesus. One of them, um, when you look at the manuscript evidence and the writings about Josephus' statement, it does seem that it was edited by Christians hmm. um, over time because he says things that you wouldn't expect a non-believing, uh, a non-Christian Jew to say about Jesus. Right. Um, and there's conflicts because some of the Christian writers say, they say, well, obviously Josephus doesn't believe Jesus is the Messiah because of the way he speaks about him. Mm-hmm. And some later quote him as saying things that would seem that he does believe. Sure. So book 18 is the one, the writing of Josephus that's uh, people are dispute, even though many scholars would say there's a kernel of, there was something there that he said it's just so much right. editing has been done over the time that we don't know what he originally said. But book 20 
is there's nothing there's clearly not edited by Christians because the way that he describes the death of James, Jesus' brother, doesn't fit the Christian tradition about how James, Jesus' brother, died. Sure. So clearly this was not something that Christ, that Christians edited. Otherwise, they would have edited that too. Right. So that there's no question by people who study ancient documents that that reference in, in the book 20 about Jesus is valid. Sure. Um, that he was a person who lived and uh, his brother James was executed um, just before the falling of the temple and some people thought because James was such a good man that we deserve this, this, this judge, losing Jerusalem to the Romans and destroying the city of Romans in 70 AD was a punishment from God uh, because of we executed a, an innocent man sure man. And, and then we have the writings of Paul Right. Paul is like probably the earliest of the, you know, or we at least have the letters from a man who lived around the time of Jesus. Right. And he knew James. I think that that's one of the biggest ones that scholars, even non-believing scholars use, yeah. is that we have this guy who became a Christian who right. didn't know the man, but he knew his brother. Right. He knew his brother James. He knew all the disciples. The disciples. The, the 12 apostles who were, I mean, Jesus had over 500 disciples, and, and Paul mentions that. There's 500 people who saw him after he rose from the dead. Right. Paul mentions that. Um, but Paul also had conversations with the the top 12, the 12 closest, the ones that Jesus would take with him and when he withdrew from everybody else and share things with that he didn't share with everybody else. Yeah. Paul, Paul got to meet them. And like you said, he got to meet uh, Jesus' brother, James. So definitely Paul um, is another... Uh, good example uh, who provides lots of evidence which at the time can be refuted and sure. when Paul's saying you know over 500 people have seen him after he rose from the dead and most of them are still alive today like you can go talk to them and ask them they'll say yeah I saw Jesus after he had been crucified right. I saw him after he rose from the dead mm-hmm. yeah and I um, a person I, I don't know um, this person didn't say it for the first time I'm sure uh-huh. And I know that he's a controversial figure in Christianity. It's just where I heard it for the first time. Okay. But Rob Bell, okay. in an interview uh, with uh, Pete Holmes, a uh, comedian, uh, Pete Holmes asked him, do you believe in the resurrection? And he said, yes, I do. Uh, he said a lot of other things that I totally disagree with him about yeah. in that statement. But he said, yes, I do believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as it was predicted. And he said, here's why. 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, something happened. Yeah. Something happened. Let's, do, let's right. just say that. Right. Something happened that changed the course of the world. Right. That created um, a ministry of people who claim that they saw a man right. get nailed to a cross and die. Yep. They saw him buried. Yeah. And then they saw him walking around. Yeah. These people spread that message, right. which is different than, like, say, Muhammad or... Like let's say a Joseph Smith, mm-hmm. who he just said, I myself, you know, spoke to an angel who told me these messages, right. and people rejected him, and so he had to go offer no corroborating evidence. Offer no corroborating evidence. The reason why the gospel spread so rapidly was because were, were because tons of people literally saw it happen. Right. They were eyewitnesses to it. Right. And so that's what helped. And so, as far as 
I, I don't know. It almost seems like, as far as scholars are concerned and historians are concerned, they pretty much believe that Jesus existed. Right. There was a man, um, Jesus of Nazareth, who clearly something happened that this movement, which a third of the world uh, is part of now, the yeah. Christian church, in from one stripe or another, um, it didn't pop out of nowhere. And yes, in the Middle Ages, a lot of it came through through uh, by the sword, yeah. forced conversion. But unfortunately, yeah. Unfortunately, but for the first 300 years of Christianity, it grew rapidly without that. Yeah. Um, and and where did that come? That doesn't just come from nothing. You know, it's it's not like Islam, which grew again by the sword, mm-hmm. uh, right from the beginning. Yeah. It it grew through warfare and violence, but with Christianity, it was word of mouth, and even when it was under persecution, and you would lose your life for saying Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus rose from the dead. Yeah, like people were willing to die right. for the simple fact to die that I saw a man walking around. I can't deny that. Right. Yeah. So yeah, um, I like I don't know. Like it, it's been recent that this new um, Jesus wasn't even real idea has come up. Like people have believed that, but yeah. I think it's become like in this new atheist, you know, what I I call jokingly a religious atheist because they're yeah. they're as dogmatic and as fundamentalist and as right. obnoxious as the Christians that they point at as being horrible. Right. They've literally become that now. Right, they become the thing they hate. Right. And so they they are now saying that there's no evidence that Jesus actually existed. That there's no physical like the, like one of the, the 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 examples they use is there's no physical evidence that Jesus was real when there's no physical evidence that anybody existed right. two thousand years ago. We right. know that people existed, but we don't have yeah. any evidence that any individual actually existed for re, like right. other well, than any, writings. Any and, common person, it's extremely rare. I mean, you might find something. You might find a, something engraved that says you know Pontius Pilate like engraved on a wall. Right. That, that's Unlikely, but he's a famous person. He's going to be able to afford, and there's going to have, you know, he had, there's going to be artifacts, perhaps, unlikely right. that you can find. And, but in terms of, yeah, a person who is not a person of authority, yeah, you're not going to find a physical artifact from their life. That's yeah. just not, just not the way it is. Nobody preserves things in museums for for a common person that isn't wealthy. Only a wealthy person might have that, but Jesus is not a wealthy man, so yeah. he, he doesn't have that. Yeah, so I, I, it seems that to say that Jesus as a man wasn't real, it's almost, I, I, again, not to be like, overdramatic, it seems almost truthful, truther level, like right, conspiracy, in that, theorists. conspiracy theorists in that the evidence is there, you just don't want to believe it. Yeah. I, there's not as much evidence as like the 9-11 conspiracy theories, but it, it's... It, Everybody who who is educated in the educated world, they pretty much, even if they don't believe, they're like, but Jesus really existed. Right. And so if you don't want to believe that, it's because you don't want to believe it. Whether you believe it that he was the Messiah or that he had powers, right. that's a different question. Right. But as a man, he existed. I mean, right. it's pretty much well determined. Right. I mean, there's just, there's always been that. There's people who try to discredit that King David did it, even though we have a, a model. We have a monument, the, the the monument written by someone who claimed to have killed King Ahab mm-hmm. and his 70 sons, or his 70 descendants, I should say. Um, and he says, you know, the in the city of David, 
Um, so we have some artifacts that actually do reference uh, historical characters, but people still kind of close their mind or they try to say, just come up with these ad hoc explanations for why it's there. Right. I mean, people that don't want to believe, they're just going to deny, deny, deny. And no matter what. Any conspiracy theorist, just like a conspiracy theorist, no matter, you try to explain to people about the way that the structural integrity of steel is affected by curtains burning at 2,000 degrees. Right. Yes, it doesn't melt steel, but it changes structural integrity. But it doesn't matter. No no physicist explaining to them how steel works is going to change their mind if <laughs> right. they really want to believe, no, everything is a conspiracy. So yeah. it's the same thing. There's people who definitely are closed-minded, and no amount of evidence is going to convince them against their will. Right. Same thing, and again, like you said, that is a typically associated with religious fanaticism, but anti-religious fanaticism is just as juvenile and narrow-minded right. and bigoted and oppressive when you look at right. Kim Jong-un, Mao Zedong, Joseph Stalin, Lenin, and Fidel Castro. The, Fidel Castro and all the Christians and religious people that were executed uh, or just for, just just for, for being, being Christian. Right. Yeah. And, okay, so we've been talking over this a bit. This is probably the most brutal scene in the whole movie. This is, and this is really, really rough, especially now that the Cat of Nine Tails has come out. Yeah. This this is brutal. Let's let's okay. Well, since we have time to kill, because this scene yeah. literally lasts <laughs> ten minutes. <laughs> Oof. Um, let's talk about gore, <laughs> gore in film. Yeah. What I've noticed. Many Christians, mm-hmm. um, they are weary of, uh, they, they are suspicious of Hollywood mm-hmm. and the horrible depictions of violence that it shows and sexuality yeah. and stuff. Right. They would watch this movie and say, oh, what a powerful, you know, horrific scene, but it's powerful and it's necessary to watch maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe it, it's moving because you see what Jesus went through. For us. For us. Yeah. But if you see, like, this kind of scene in a horror movie... They're like, oh, it's just gross, and it's just there's no other reason to show this kind of scene when we have an example of a scene in which, I mean, you figure if it can be done here, then it can be done elsewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, a scene of gore, of violence. You know, it wouldn't. Would you say? Because, like, for example, I like I like horror movies. Not every horror movie. I think that, like, the Saw movies, there's nothing redeemable about those. They're just gross and disgusting. Because I think that recently, and there's always been movies like this, but more now, where they have scenes just to revel in the gore and disgustingness of characters. But there are movies that are incredibly gory that I think, wow, like, that's that's a great movie. I really enjoyed it because it made me cringe and, you know, look away. And, you know, maybe there's a message in there that I think is... I don't think everyone should see them, but what would you say? I mean, as far as gore, when it's used here so brutally... I mean, like I said, from beginning to end, it's just a beating of a man. And Christians like it. Yeah. They don't They don't think it's awesome. But what would you say? I'm sorry, I keep... <laughs> no problem. Um, I, for, for me, uh, my tradition... Uh, my church is part of the Plymouth Brother movement, started in the 1800s, and it's not every church is independent and autonomous. Sure. Um, but one of the things that most of the churches have in common is they do communion every Sunday, 
And the way they do communion is you have a time before you uh, eat the, the bread and drink the wine. You have a time where people share uh, their meditations and their thoughts about Jesus and what he did for us. And so I have heard, you know, from my dad and others talk about the brutality of, of the Roman scourge. Sure. And how brutal it was. Um, you know, I just were thinking about it. You know, I've seen pictures in, you know, kids' Bibles are nothing like this yeah. <laughs> scene here. But just, you know, the way that it's described, like, I definitely could visualize it. And when I saw it, this was like the first time that, you know, someone actually visually portrayed the way that I imagined it in my mind. Right. After hearing what it was like. You right. know, again, it's all theoretical, abstract, and intellectual, but my mind still as as a kid, I still when they tell you visualize it in my mind. Glass and bone, uh, glass, right. bone, and rock tied to the end of ropes that tear right. your skin off. Yeah, you can imagine that. Right. Actually showing it. Yeah. Unlike other depictions before it. But like you said, it's part of the religious tradition, and every branch of Christianity has a tradition of meditating on what Jesus did for us. And so I think that's why Christians like it, even though they wouldn't typically watch a movie that is. Gore like this again. Christians have their their background and their context for this, and they see, you know, this this is a historical event. This actually happened, and it personally was for my benefit. You right. know, it's like watching. Oh, thank goodness! Hold on, uh, they they just finished scourging his back, so they're unlocking him. Oof! That's, glad that's over. Yeah. Well, <laughs> again, it's like when we watch a movie, uh, you know, like that movie that just came out this summer about Dunkirk. You right, know, right. Or you watch a movie about World War Two. Oh uh, God, it's still going. And you see, <laughs> and you see, like you know, hey, these guys did this for my freedom. These right. guys did this, like this personally affected me, especially if you lived in Europe or England. Sure. You're like, hey, this 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 soldier who died did that for me. Like I'm alive today because of that soldier's sacrifice. And so there's something that is deeply moving about that. And right. And you have an appreciation. And every Christian looks at what Jesus went through as this was for me. This yes. was something that specifically enables me to be forgiven by God for my rebellion against him and to uh, to not have to endure uh, eternal suffering, separation from God in hell. Uh, Jesus did this specifically for me to be delivered from that. So it, it is deeply moving, and we want to... We actually want to see it's it's weird, but we, we just like when we watch the movie, World War Two movies, we want to see what they went through for us. And right. again, this is something. This isn't something that hey, every once in a while, maybe on D Day or something, you might watch a World War Two movie. Mm -hmm. This is something you know. In some church traditions, every week <laughs> you're talking about the torture that Jesus went through for you. Right. So I think. Um, and it's so that you never forget. I mean, you know, why do people go to the to the grave of their loved ones when they die? Like, you don't want to forget them. You want to remember. Sure. And the traditions that we have in in Christianity are what Jesus said, do this to remember me. He doesn't right. want us to forget him and what he's doing for us. And so I think for me, that's why it resonated for me. Like, I really love this. This was like this is the first time in the movie that actually showed what it's like. Because yes. everything else, it's all... I mean, white yeah. is clean. It's 
It's, right. There, he's walking. He's got his robe on, and they're whipping him as he's walking on the cross. Yeah, and it's like there's uh, no. There's, I don't know if they've ever shown a scourging scene. Right. In, no. In most other Christian. No, they haven't. Films. This was the one that actually shows uh, what it's like. And so for me, it was, it was like refreshing in a sense. It was like right. finally someone's actually showing <laughs> what Jesus actually went through. You right, know, right. it's like watching a World War II movie that where like nobody dies. You know, it's like, well, what's, what is that? That's not really teaching me anything. That's, yeah. what, what value is that to me? Like, I, I want to know what happened. And so right. seeing this is like, man, I really can see. And people can know. People that didn't have my tradition, if they see this movie, they can see, wow, Jesus oh, went through man. this. And, and again, the Christian context is he didn't have to. Right. He could have hightailed it. He could have ran. He could have called 12, 12 legions of angels. To just annihilate that little band of thugs, like he didn't, he could have made all kinds of choices to avoid this fate. Right. Um, but he didn't. He didn't run. He didn't flee. Mm-hmm. He submitted. He took it uh, like a man, <laughs> like a woman, <laughs> right? Uh, like a a person of valor, like a hero. Right. He took it. Um, and so it's like not because I love seeing blood and gore and violence. Of course not. But because I want to see, I want to accurately and do honor and justice to the memory of someone who made a tremendous sacrifice for me. Right. That benefits me. So then, could gore, since it affects you so much Mm -hmm. by witnessing it, could gore be used in other contexts that, like, say, nonfiction, or, I mean, I mean, fiction? Yeah, in which it can serve the same purpose, because like 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 you said, in horror movies, people think that they're just, and uh, you know a lot of times they are like just horrible. But for example, Hostel, which I Hostel one and two, I really like those movies. Mm-hmm. The like it is just gory as all get out get out. Mm-hmm. But the movie is about hedonism. These yeah. college kids who are backpacking through Europe, all they want to do is have sex and get drunk and get high. That's yeah. all they want to do. And they, right. they're just, it's not enough. Come on, let's go. Let's do it. Let's more and more. And then they get captured by this group that they basically capture people, lock them in a room, and have people torture and kill them for money. Oh, it's man. brutal, yeah. right? And it is brutal. Mm-hmm. But it's about how this is... Like, what happens when you go too far? Right. And so, like, there's a scene where one of the guys makes his escape, and he goes into a locker room where he changes into somebody else's clothes, and a dude comes in who's, like, one of the people who paid to be there to kill somebody, and he's like, you know what? Man, this is amazing. I've been all over the world, and you know what? At the end of the day, sex is just sex. But this is real, man. This is actually... And so, again, like, I'm not saying people should watch it. Yeah. Because if you can't take it, you can't take it, but that's... A message that right. is, po- you know, positive and you cringe and you, like, look away and, you know, you're entertained by it, certainly, because it's not a, you know. But, I mean, if it wasn't that brutal, then that message wouldn't be as powerful or strong. Right. Maybe. Yeah, um, I mean, it's a little bit different because, like you say, this, this is a historical event. Sure. Which has a personal benefit on me so definitely to many christians yeah to to, to christians in general so this is something that we want to see for those reasons and like you said there is value in portraying how uh, how destructive uh, a hedonistic lifestyle is sure um where it can lead you and where it can bring you and again just like not every person who smokes weed ends up 
becoming a crack addict. <laughs> right. Uh, not every person who is going to live a, a hedonistic lifestyle is going to end up there, but some do. Sure. Um, and, and so, so this is a worst case scenario movie. Right. And and they're showing what 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 it could lead you to. It choose if you choose to go down that path. Just like there are many who do, uh, you know, get drunk for fun, get wasted, and end up becoming chronic alcoholics there are many that that do end up down that road or driving and kill someone driving drunk right like a friend of mine so definitely it's it's a reality um but when it comes to when it comes to a a fantasy uh that's not actually based on historical events that doesn't affect someone people definitely there's a lot of people that can understand why and i'm the same and i'm the same way there's definitely a line because there's so much real pain in my life, in the life of people that I love and care about. Like, like I don't, I don't need that to know how no. terrible hedonistic lifestyle is. Like, <laughs> right. I already know. I've already seen it in, you know, people in my life making those choices and, right. and destroying themselves. So there are, I mean, but that's just me personally. I'm not no, saying it's right or wrong. But I'm saying that's where I have a line. I mean, I've seen other, I haven't seen Hostels. I've seen other Quentin Tarantino movies, which. I'm sure other people would say the violence is too much, you know, like in Reservoir Dogs, like this, just so much gratuitous yeah. killings and shootings, <laughs> like I didn't find any entertainment of it, and to be honest, if I watched it now, at the age of 40, I probably wouldn't. At the time, when I was early 20s, and <laughs> I just, I didn't have all the cares and stress and difficulties, right. and it was just entertainment, and mindless entertainment, and didn't really, it right. was just kind of whatever to me back then, it was just entertainment. Um, now, I don't know that I would really find it that entertaining, but... Sure. And, you know, but everybody has their own line, and I understand that. But I'm just saying it's different than a historical event that has personal significance to you. Yeah. Because I, again, I'm, I, I, I'm a fan of. I think that that brutality, the, the gore, the violence, it, it affects you, and it's, it's like you know, it's more, it's more moving. Just like this moves you by witnessing it. Like you cringe, you look away, you're. You know, it's really affecting. It can be used in right. others. It can be abused. It can be, you know, exploitative. But then right. it can also be used for... And just because what I guess the point I'm trying to make is there is this, like, idea that, no, I don't like it, so nobody can watch it in Christianity. And, you know, and there's a lot of Christian film critics who like those kinds of movies. And so I'm just wondering, yeah, if it can be used here, then it can be used elsewhere. For the same purpose, maybe not the exact same purpose, but for the same reaction. There could be a benefit to it, right? Yes. And and that's the thing in in terms of Christianity, though, and just that specific example of indulging in hedonism too far mm-hmm. leads you down a path. And I think for many Christians, they understand that indulging in movie watching, especially a movie that has gratuitous violence, there's a danger there. Sure. Because it could be I'm, I'm not watching it. I'm not learning a lesson from it. I'm just getting off. You're on just yeah, enjoying. Like thing. I said, like those the Saw movies yeah. long ago stopped being uh, anything other than enjoying the right. torm the brutal torment torture. People. Yeah, yeah, and so and that's the and that's why you know a Christian is always you know a, a Christian's gonna say not just because a Christian says hey you know don't drink too much doesn't mean they're out there to to deny people from drinking. Right. It's just that they know if it goes too far, it'll ruin your life. Right. And, and it's the uh, same and thing. Well, if it goes same... too far with watching 
movies glorifying brutality and gore, you might it get can the go wrong too idea. far. Yeah. You might you don't want to go too far, or glorifying sex, or glorifying uh, any type of sinful behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, it can take you down a path that you want to go, and that's right. that's always something that Christians should warn and caution people against indulging. Yeah. That's part of hedonism is indulgence uh, to an excess, and right. nobody anything in excess is wrong. Right. Uh, the, the, I forget what his name was, but a, a, a uh, radio show host was talking about the Sopranos, and mm. he said that there are two different kinds of Sopranos fans. Right. There's the people who understand it, who understand that it's about family, it's about a broken man, about, like, you know, uh, just not being able to leave your old lifestyle. And then there's the dum-dums who don't get it, who like yeah. it for the violence and the, right. you know. Right. And so, yeah, so there's always that danger. But that's like a personal thing that you have to watch out for because right. nobody can really be inside your head. Right. As you have to prey on it. You have to read the Bible. You have to have fellowship with fellow Christians to make sure that you keep right. on top of that. Right. And, you know, and in terms of making money, when people are writing a TV show... Is for you know to make money. Yeah, that, that's and essentially they don't, it. They don't care why you're watching it. They don't care which reason why. As long as you're watching it, <laughs> right. you're boosting their ratings. They keep writing more, and they can keep making more money. And so that's the same thing. Is right. you know, don't. The other side of that is not contributing to someone that is not necessarily having a conscience about what he's putting out or what he's producing. Sure. He doesn't care that it's destructive or detrimental. Right. He's just, I don't I don't care if you're watching for the right reasons or wrong reasons. <laughs> All as long I want, as you're yeah. watching, I just want your money. An artist would say, yes, he does care because he's he's trying to say something with his art. But if right. you're a, a typical business, if you're a, corporation, if you're a producer yeah. making movies, you're like, I don't care. I, I yeah. don't want to lose my job. By, <laughs> I don't want to be voted out of my CEO position right. because I'm not, because my fourth quarter earnings weren't as good as last time. Right. So. Exactly. You can tell when it's about art and when it's right. about money. Right. Uh, we're missing a bit. Um, okay, so Mary Magdalene conflated with the adulterous woman. That's a very mm-hmm. Catholic thing. Um, right now, I talked about the, the Stations of the Cross during the uh, the Coming Attractions episode. The two Stations of the Cross that have already happened is Pilate condemns Jesus to die and from Mark 15 and Matthew 27, and Jesus accepts his cross. I don't know if I'm going to go through all the stations. I just think that it's fascinating that yeah. you know they're going through the stations. Right. Jesus falls three times in the Stations of the Cross. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know why those are included. Um, they, they're literally, you know, like, you know, number four, or which one is it? Uh, yeah, right now, Jesus falls for the first time. That's that's a scene from the Stations of the Cross. I don't know what the point of that is, but it happens three times. The uh, We have palms... The uh, what do they call it? The or the entrance? The uh, yeah, the um, the triumphal entry. Triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. Flashbacks to that. Again, that that's one of the questions that I should maybe bring up because uh, w- I heard somewhere that maybe that didn't happen or maybe didn't happen the way it was described because if if a person was coming to the city with such fanfare, the Romans would have arrested him. And so because it's like, you know, who is this guy? What is he thinking? And is he declaring himself king? And he's got – is he a leader of these people? Like would that be uh... – Well, the Romans – That's for my own – like, you know. Yeah. Well, the Romans gave 
from what we understand historically, the Romans gave them a lot of latitude. Um, you know, the Romans were smart about when they occupied uh, foreign peoples. Right. You know, they didn't want to be totalitarian. Right. Uh, they wanted to maintain law and order. But in the case specifically here, um, they tried to give the religious leaders some latitude. I mean, they don't have. They didn't want to have a civil war. They don't want to have to come right. and, and you annihilate. You have to give them a little freedom, or you else they'll rebel. Right. So they don't rebel, and you're not fighting wars and wasting resources. You want to move on with your resources, your armies, and keep expanding, keep taking over more territories. You don't want to have to waste time suppressing revolts all the time. So sure. they they did give some latitude and leeway. Obviously, executing a person was not latitude they had. They had that's why they went to Pilate for Jesus to be executed. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't. If it was, I guess it would depend on how they perceived it. Um, but there's, he's riding on a donkey. He's not riding on a white horse. <laughs> right. He's not. He doesn't, he's not coming in on a, with an army. Right. There's no army. It's children <laughs> right. and women uh, with palm branches. It's not an army with weapons. So I want. I don't think it would be very. The Romans would threatening. say, "Oh, that's kind of adorable." Yeah. It's kind of just nice. It's. Uh, I don't. You know. Who knows what each, on an individual level, anybody thought, but definitely. There's something about it that would be threatening, especially right. because a Roman wouldn't understand the, the religious, the, the theological significance of it. Because it is, there is a prophecy of Zechariah of our king coming, meek sure. and lowly on the colt of a donkey. Mm-hmm. Um, so to the Jews, it has great significance. But for the Romans, it would just be uh, whatever. Um, non, I don't see any men at arms, so right. non-threatening. So, okay, so no, uh, station number three was him falling. This is going to be station number four. This is incredibly iconographic. Is that the word for it? Sure. For a Catholic, uh, I can, I, a Catholic iconographic, I, I don't know how to say that, uh, where right here is like a painting. It, it like literally is set up like a painting, this, uh, this doorway scene or this hall, uh, alleyway scene. This looks like an old... Catholic painting, mm. the way it's set up. Oof. He falls again. Or is this the first time? No, the, he already fell the first time. Okay. I think that he, he falls three times. He falls six times. But I think he falls three times for this, for the uh, for the stations, but he falls three more times for to give reason for the other stations. Like, for example, he falls this time. Beautiful scene. Jesus, uh, like Mary is remembering Jesus falling as a child mm-hmm. and her running to him to rescue him uh, to see if he's okay. And then it's kind of flashing back and forth with her running after Jesus after he falls. Yeah. Oh, God, I, I, every scene with her I love. Yeah. No, it's really good. I mean, because I, I have a, a child almost to a son. And yeah, you know, I understand that feeling. Like when he falls, you know, like yeah, you get scared. Oh my, I you remember get scared. my parents like, I being real scared when I just scraped my knee. <laughs> yeah, when and they're little and they seem so delicate, and and you know, even you know, you you just that's someone you love and you care about, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's a natural thing. And so, yeah, it is really good. Again, I, when I first watched this, I had no idea that what that this was a station of the right. cross. I knew it wasn't in the Bible. But Jesus meeting just felt, of mother, that's uh, right. station number five. I just felt this was really good at humanizing the, uh, you know, the relationship and and just what he's going through. Right. 
So yeah, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I guess maybe I shouldn't. I don't need to go through every station when it comes up. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't matter to me either yeah, way. It's fine. But every time uh, the one that they do skip is Jesus meets the women from Jerusalem when they're when he, Jesus sees the women crying and he says, "Don't weep for me, for me weep, weep for, for yourselves." For yourselves. Yeah. The part that's actually in the Bible. It's actually in the Bible. They leave that and one it's, out. It's a station on the cross. <laughs> he leaves it out, probably wow. because you'd have to create three more characters. Or a group of more characters with a backstory, maybe. Right. Maybe it'd be too much. Yeah. I mean, again, the, the gospel writers don't specify which of Jesus' female disciples it was mm-hmm. um, that happened to witness this and and were deeply mourning and in shock. It, I'm pretty sure one of them was his mother. The gospel writers would have mentioned that, right? Um, and they don't, so I would. I mean, maybe she doesn't want to see this, or she's maybe she's not aware that it's happening. Yet. Right? Yet, not yet. Um, and so, Veronica, I'm going to certainly talk about this. Right. Again, not a person in, in scripture. Didn't come up until the 1500s. Yeah. Um. Okay. So yeah, let's let's bring this up. Uh, station number. Not that I'm going to go through all these. I'm just mentioning this for. Uh, for this reason, but uh, what is this? Four or five? Um, this is Veronica in... Um, okay. Uh, where do you think the, the name Veronica comes from? You're, you know a little bit about Latin. You don't know Latin, but you know a little bit. If you were to guess, where does Veronica, Veronica. come from? Veronica. I have no clue. Vera Icon. True, really? uh, the true. Uh, oh, sorry, Vera. Vera yeah, Vera, truth, Vera, Veritas, true, truth, true image. Wow. And the reason is because you're going to see right now, this. Uh, she's a saint in the Catholic Church. Yes. Uh, what she did is she takes her shawl off. Uh, what would you call that? Her head covering, maybe. Yeah. And she has compassion on Jesus. Walks over and gives it to him for him to wipe the dirt, blood, and sweat off his face. Right. And. That face, the face of Jesus, is actually became printed on that head covering. As the blood dried. As the blood dried, like just like the uh, the shroud of Turin. Yeah. Very similarly, she gave him that. Oh no, no, like we haven't even gotten to that part yet. But this is Simon. Mm. That part's next. Yeah. This part is in the Bible that Simon, the Cyrenian. Mm-hmm. Cyrenian or whatever the terminology is there. Cyronian was uh, compelled by the soldiers to carry his crossbeam because he was physically unable to do it at this point. Right. I mean, and th- that's what I found kind of like I don't know. They the the guard his boss told him to do it. <laughs> right. And he's like, no, 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 you do it. He just picked somebody from the crowd. Yeah, again, none of all this dialogue here is completely extra-biblical. Not, the only thing we know is they just force a guy out of the crowd who happened to be Simon, who eventually later becomes a, a disciple in the church. Right. Um, they forced him to carry the cross for Jesus because Jesus was physically unable to, to do it. Um, that's the only thing that we know. That, uh, right. How that happened, all the dialogue is just <laughs> the again, artistic license. Going I, up. I just saw this as artistic license. Right. Um, I don't know how much of it is true to the the meditations. Yeah, later on he says, don't worry, we're almost there. I don't know how good news, how much good news that is <laughs> for a guy about to be crucified to hear. Yeah. But, I mean, again, it's a, it's a rough walk up, so. Right. 
I mean, you know, I don't know what I would say. I mean, when I see a guy, he's just in pain just to walk. Yeah. I might tell him, at least you don't have to walk anymore. Yeah. Sit down for a while, maybe a little. Without thinking, then like, oh, yeah, what's going to happen to you next is even worse. But, (laughs) yeah, good point. Who knows? Right. So that was station number five, and this is station number six here. The what I was talking about, Veronica, Vera Icon. Uh, you see this uh, young. I think um, the uh, the legend goes that she was uh, she. What do you call that when you when you starve yourself when you refuse to eat? Fasting. No, like for uh, st- no, you don't do that at all. Protest. No, like like uh, the, the you know the condition that some people have where oh, they uh, anorexia. Anorexia. She was an anorexic. Mm. She would call it fasting, but she just wouldn't eat at all. Hmm. And so I wonder if that's why this this Veronica is very like petite, very skinny. Hmm. If 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 that's like an important thing for, but I don't know. Hmm. That's just an assumption. But yes, so this this scene where she takes off her head covering to for Jesus to wipe his face. This shawl, like this actually existed until it, and it was in the Vatican mm-hmm. until the Romans uh, sacked it and burned a bunch of artifacts. And at least with it, at least that's the claim. That's well, they I mean, did, they th- that did happen. But, uh, but whether the, right, whether I mean? the icon itself, whether the thing itself was actually existed or was real, I'm sure it was a real thing in the sure Vatican. It was a physical cloth, yeah. Right. Whether it came from <laughs> Jesus. Right. Is, but yeah, so. Well, just like all the wood in the Vatican from the cross. Yeah. Whether, not likely to be from the true cross. Just like, uh, the Shroud of Turin was shown by carbon dating to be nowhere near as, as old, old as, as Jesus. Right. But yeah, that's that's a really interesting story that right. uh, this woman, it, it, again, it developed around the 1500s where yes. this woman wiped his face, and you're going to see it in a bit, you know, his face was actually printed on the on the head covering. If you believe that, I mean, if there's any Catholics listening, then yeah, yeah, gr- yeah that's fine. I just, uh, you know, I it, it's a nice story. I, 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 God, I sound so condescending when I'm saying that. I, I hope it doesn't sound so condescending. I believed it. Yeah. I believed it when I was young. Right. But, uh, yeah. So, but that, that, that's where that comes from for anybody, uh, listening who never knew that story or who, like, didn't, who missed that. Yeah. You're gonna see it in a little while. Once they continue, you're gonna see her in the background with his face on the, uh, on her head covering that she's holding in her hand. And that's what that's referring to. That that's that's a really important scene if you're a Catholic. Right. Again, a very Catholic movie. It's yeah. so surprising that such a Catholic movie was so beloved by Christians. But I mean, it's not like the story, the Catholic version of the crucifixion and the Christian version were so much, so different. You know. Right. Well, some things are like different. Like I said, but every version. Other than the two that I mentioned, right, uh, has embellishments and additions. And so, like I said, for me, watching this, not knowing, again, I just figured, all right, all these embellishments, I can see the purpose behind them, and I can understand why the nun had the meditations about them that she did. Right. Um, again, I, I don't agree with all of them. Definitely, 
Uh, I'm very skeptical as to the, whether it happened or not. Yeah, as to whether or not they happened. Um, but in terms there of artistic go. license, oh, there it is. I see it. Yeah. In terms of artistic license, um, you understand why why they're doing it. Right, right. And again, if you don't know it, then it's nice that a that a young woman, you right. know, I mean, you're just seeing this thing happen, and it's it means nothing to you other than oh, that's a really nice scene. Yeah. You know, which. I don't know. Again, I I don't know if I would. So you're saying if you made a Jesus movie, you would just make it straight biblical, right? Hmm. And so Jesus wouldn't fall because again, if you're if Jesus falls three again six times for Simon, for Veronica, and for his mother, three times for the. Uh, I mean, but I mean, uh, well, those are uh, probably. I mean, those are symbolic numbers, right? Obviously, but being dr- taken to the cross, taken to Golgotha. Yeah. Would, would Jesus fall? Um, perhaps when Simon, I would assume there's a That's reason why, why they compel Simon to carry it. Yeah, they wouldn't just so, say, yeah, you know, you're doing right. fine, but let's have another person. There's going to be some artistic license, right? Sure, no sure, sure. How, how do you portray it? There's going to be there. Because yeah. I, I don't know. If I were to make it, I probably would fill in some some blanks, you know? Maybe try to interpret what people are thinking. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. Right, and the, and, you know... That's it's gonna have to be done, right? Um, and, and they did it in the the gospel, the Luke, the one that's based off the gospel of Luke, and the one that's based off the gospel of John. Same thing. I mean, they, but they didn't add a ton, a ton. They didn't um, add dialogue that wasn't there. Okay. And really, yeah. in a lot of these, there's dialogue that would seem important. Yeah. That that is added. The dialogue is purely the biblical text. Sure. Obviously, you create context in the scene and. And uh, what the characters are doing. I mean, you know, speaking of the symbolic number, there's looking at all four gospels. Mm-hmm. There's seven statements of Jesus, but Gospel of John only has three. Gospel of Luke only has three. Uh, Matthew and Mark only have one. Mm-hmm. Um, so you put them all together. Because some are repeated, right. uh, there's seven total different ones. But so that's a symbolic number. If I'm doing a movie just based off one gospel, I'm never going to have all seven in one movie. Hmm. So you would pick one number or one gospel, I mean, and stick to that gospel, or would you? Yeah. If, if I was a if I was a billionaire, hmm. um, I would actually do all the gospels. Just for the for the record, Jesus is uh, giving the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. Got struck. Jim Caviezel got struck by lightning during this scene. I heard about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a, a script assistant got struck twice. Wow. During the making of this movie, he got struck during this, which people make fun of as yeah. if God was ever a film critic. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also that, heard that in the scourging scene, uh, he actually got hit by oh, the, yeah. he by actually the thing got hit one once. time. Yeah. So. Dislocated his shoulder while he was up on the cross. Yeah. He went through a lot for this movie. Yeah. It's uh, my... My wife was listening to, uh, I don't know if it was a podcast or it was something, where he's interviewed and he's sharing his story about all the crazy stuff that happened to him in making this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, she said she really liked it. It was really powerful and um, it was really interesting just everything that he went through in, in the making of it. But, yeah, so I'm going to get back to what I was saying. I would do all four Gospels, mm-hmm. and uh, but what I would have is I'd use the same actors 
You know, kind of like the Marvels. Like I said, if I'm a billionaire, I could do this. You would make get four different actors. movies. I'd make four different movies, but oh. well, everything would be filmed at the same time. And I would do, I would have a special edition in which <laughs> I would do a harmony of the Gospels. Right. And so I would put all the scenes together that the different Gospels maybe are separated or some leave out or whatever, or some, and i Put it all together in one sequence. It'd be a long movie. Uh, not all four movies. Well, people be sit and watch the, the the Lord of the Rings movies right, all the all way through. Ones. So of course people right. would watch your movie. Well, what, well, what I'm saying is there are some scenes that are in more than one gospel. Right. Obviously, I don't need to put that scene twice. Twice, right? In right, my right. thing, but it's there. And yeah, and I would do. I would have it where you know you can watch the movies of each gospel. Watch your favorite version. Right. Watch favorite version, or you can watch the compilation in which. It goes through everything from the Gospels. Uh, again, that's what I do. I would do that with the whole Bible. But as a, yeah, but as I mentioned before, you would probably add some stuff from the before and after, not just <laughs> the twelve hours of. Oh yeah, Jesus I would do brutal. Yeah, execution. Well, yeah, totally. Um, you know, it's a nice moment. He he didn't want to be a part of it. Now he can't track him away. Yeah, well, they're again. I I just assume they're trying to hinting at about how he later became a a disciple and a, a believer, right? Part of the Christian movement. Another scene, and again, this is emphasized a lot. It's not so emphasized in the movie uh, when Jesus is stripped of his clothes, and boy, do they emphasize the fact that the 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 blood has dried, and mm-hmm. the thick cloth that he's wearing fused to his back, yeah, and then it is torn off, reopening all those wounds. Like it yeah. is the amount of times that I've heard that right. growing up, yeah. Not something that's specifically pointed out in the Gospels, but, you know, just people he, using they, their imagination. That he's stripped of his clothes? No, yeah, that he's stripped of clothes, but just nothing's mentioned in the Gospels that his oh, the, the blood's dried and reopened wounds, and it was uh, yeah, yeah, a really painful thing. That's not something that's specifically brought out. I mean, that's our imagination. We can imagine it wasn't fun or pleasant. Uh, we can imagine what it, you know, if we've had a similar situation with a cut, um, perhaps, right. and you put the bandage on. To stop the bleeding, and then it falls rip off, it off yeah. and Ugh. whatever. Before I mean, it's... So we've all can somewhat relate. Obviously, this is a much worse thing than most <laughs> human beings have ever um, gone yeah. through. I, I was wondering whether or not to bring this up, but uh, there's an episode of Louis. Uh, it's a show that Louis C.K. did, uh, and the episode's called God, and it's about Catholic guilt, mm. about how when he was a child, he. Uh, he, he, you know, he, he and his friend were goofing around in class. The nun said, hey, you should, uh, you know, you, you need to, like, you know, show more, you know, uh, what compassion or you should pay more attention because of what Jesus went through. She's going through all the, the sections of the cross and what Jesus went through. Yeah. And they just made some jokey remark. Right. And so then the next day she actually has to meet in the uh, chapel and they ha- she brings a doctor in to explain mm. what physically happened to Jesus. And there's a moment when 
he puts he takes his friend who you know Louis and his friend up on at front uh, because they were the ones goofing around. He puts a nail to the hand of his friend and tells Louis to drive it in. He's like, I can't do that. He's like, Well, you do it to Jesus every day. You wow. do it to him every day. You sin. That's what you do. And like it, it like it just brought me back to. I mean, I still struggle with Catholic guilt. Yeah. The guilt, because again, like you said, we uh, evangelicals, Christians, we believe that Jesus died because he loved us. Mm-hmm. In the Catholic Church, and not every Catholic, but in the Catholic Church, it is very much Jesus died because of what we did. Yeah, We caused it. Yeah. And the more we sin, it's like some weird time loop thing that happens where right. he is suffering more and more as we speak. Right. in the past because of the sins that we've committed and it's so emphasized on that that the guilt is just like really overwhelming and you can't get you know i don't know it's like when good things happen you can't enjoy it because i i don't know it's it's really uh and i again i i don't know what what good that i i i i have Tremendous respect for the Catholic Church because I wouldn't know God mm-hmm. if not for the church. Right. I heard the stories. Here's Mel Gibson's hands mm-hmm. actually doing this himself. Jesus at the Last Supper. I guess, again, some gospel in this, but I don't know, not enough for my liking. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, but, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just, I feel... Like, I could have done without the so much guilt being placed on me for... Yeah, I mean, there's there's good guilt and there's bad guilt. Um, obviously, if you've done something uh, wrong, I mean, you should feel guilt until you make it right. Right. I mean, that's, that's, that's the human. positive side that's, of guilt. That's yeah. for human. I mean, if I've done something wrong, I should feel guilty. If I, if I messed you over in some way... I shouldn't feel good about that. I should be like, oh, dude, that's that's not right. And yeah. I should go to you and try to make it right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, then there's the guilt that you can't do anything about, mm-hmm. um, which we could bear that. I mean, I could, I could carry guilt for every U.S. soldier who's died <laughs> for us, right? right? Right. I mean, I could. If I choose to, I could dwell, man, he had to die or this country wouldn't be here. Uh, I wouldn't be here, or who and knows here what I am, just wasting like. my time. Yeah, I'm not doing enough. It's I'm... like the you know at the end of Saving Private Ryan. You oh know, yeah, make it worth it. You know, and, and then he yeah, and then Ryan and the he spoilers. has to carry that guilt. The whole... at, yeah, at the grave he says, "Did I live a good enough life? Am I a yeah. good man?" Yeah, it's yeah. So I mean, there's oh, Jesus, this part. There's when you have, uh, and again, that's an example of what I'm saying of, of guilt. That's too much. Like, there's not, there's nothing I can do about that. Like, I can't. People chose to die for me, and, and I benefit from that. Right. But I, I didn't ask them. I didn't make them do that. They would have done it had I never existed. Right. They would have done it, um, regardless of whether or not I, my parents conceived me. Right. Um, so, in the other sense, is no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let that cripple me. Sure. Um. I'm. I'm, what I'm carrying the guilt for is the fact that, you know, when I've actually done something wrong and I haven't made it right or I haven't gone to God to receive his forgiveness because I have to make it right with him as well. Right. Um, and not only receive his forgiveness, but receive his power in my life to overcome that temptation. 
Right. Um, that's something that I have to um, make sure that I'm doing it right, doing right for myself to to deal with the guilt. Mm-hmm. And the beautiful thing is, is I can know because of what Jesus went through, I don't have to carry the guilt because right. if I've taken care of it, uh, if I've tried to make it right, and that's the biblical, if you wrong someone, reconcile. If your brother's wrong, you go to him and reconcile. Right. And if it wasn't bad enough, they're going to turn the crossover yeah. onto his face. Again, this scene is from uh, the uh, the the nun who saw the visions. Mm-hmm. I actually think that this is kind of a cool scene, just because of who witnesses this miracle. They turn him over. A, it is going to be a brutal slamming against the ground, but it never hits the ground. Mm-hmm. The cross is kind of levitated. Jesus is levitated over the ground, so his, I think she mentioned so that his holy face wouldn't touch the ground. I think that's the reason. Hmm. But I think it's really cool, just in, you know, for no other reason than I, it's just visually kind of cool that she, Mary Magdalene is the only one that sees it. Nobody else sees it. The, the, even the, the person on, on top of the cross, literally standing on the cross, nailing, you know, you know, nailing the nails back or hammering the nails back. But nobody sees it except for this one person. I I like that, just visually, that only one person is witnessing this miracle. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I just thought, to me, this was like, I just felt this was a completely, again, I had no idea about the the meditation. This was just completely gratuitous, and I thought this this was an example of a scene where you're going too far not overacting but maybe overwriting right um is a better way of saying it um like you're trying too hard to to show like what he actually went through is bad enough without adding extra things right that didn't actually happen right um but again i didn't know that people believe that it actually did happen according to meditation so that's why again that was just from my perspective like yeah and i i didn't i didn't know that the cross was levitating because you don't see at the ends of the screen. This is the widescreen version. Yeah. You don't you don't see the ends of the cross on either end. I just assumed it hit a rock or it was intentional. Right. What the what was done. It was being laid down on the same things that it was on when it was Yeah. When it was on his back. So I didn't realize it's supposed to be a miracle of levitation going on there. I just that figured, nobody witnesses except for one person. And that, yeah. that's mainly why. Did I mention I d I don't remember if I mentioned that they conflated the the adulteress and and uh, Mary Magdalene. Yeah, well, that's a very Catholic thing, right? Again, there's, Mary Magdalene has been very sexualized by the Catholic Church, but there's yeah. nothing in the Gospels about her sexual life other than uh, we know that she was married. So yeah. <laughs> that's the only thing that we know. Um, there's nothing about her being a prostitute that is completely adulterous no or... biblical basis for her being a prostitute, for her being an adulteress, for her. Um, the only the way she's presented in the gospel is a very devout woman, and that's how we should see her. Right. Um, we shouldn't see her as a sex object. We definitely should not see. There's never, from from a scriptural perspective, that's that's all she is. She's a devout woman, and that's the yeah. only way that she should be seen, in my opinion, um, and remembered for being an extremely devout woman. I don't know why. They've always got a. I, I never understood the. 
the fascination with her sexuality. Yeah. Yeah, because it goes beyond that. It's like they're saying that Mary and Jesus were married. And not the Catholics, but, I mean, legend yeah. has it. Right, the, the those some, books, the Da Vinci Code. The Da Vinci Code and, stuff. And, uh, and, again, I think they come from the Gnostic Gospels or, or something. Some elements come from the Gnostic Gospels. In terms that of, Jesus was married and the person he was married to is uh, Mary Magdalene. I think only because she was the only woman of significance in the Bible. Like, who else is she going to... You know, hook yep. up with. Yeah. Or, I, I well, if Jesus is going to marry anybody, it's got to be her because that's the only other woman we really know. Yeah. As, you know. Yeah. And we have the other thieves on the cross. Are, are these thieves or are these uh, rebels? Yeah, the King James says thieves. Um, other translations say malefactors or rebels. I mean, like you said, the, the Roman society had. Excuse me. Roman society had a lot of crimes that were capital crimes. Um, if you're a runaway slave, um, even though not necessarily every crime was punishable by a crucifixion, but definitely uh, they weren't, you know, they weren't shoplifters, I'll tell you that. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> now, one of the things that I liked and I didn't like is I liked that Mel Gibson had the malefactors crucified on the historically accurate crosses. Right. The capital T uh, crosses. Mm-hmm. And the only other movie that did that is the the old Ben-Hur. I haven't seen the new one, so I don't know. But as far of, of all the the crucifixion movies that I've seen, yeah, yeah, yeah. only the old Ben-Hur and this movie, of course, for Jesus, he, he just, puts the wrong cross yeah, the because that's the... That's the tradition. That's what we um, see in paintings. I mean, the, the cross didn't become a symbol of Christianity until after Constantine. Mm-hmm. And so at that time, the this is the type of cross that was used. But historically, what we know from the first century, it was the Tau crosses. And so that's not the cross that Jesus would have been on. Ben-Hur is the only one that puts Jesus on the right kind of cross historically. Right. Everybody else doesn't want to deviate from the medieval traditions. Sure. Um, and so they put... The historically inaccurate cross for Jesus to be on, right? And of course, what's going to happen here next to the to the one that doesn't repent? Yeah, is like I just what, where does that come from? That's just <laughs> so out there. That's just nuts. I never again. I didn't know. Is it based off of meditation? I think it might be. Uh, also, <laughs> I, I forget which one because I know that him hanging from chains is. Uh, you know, yeah. at the very beginning, I know yeah. that him being flipped over and not touching the ground, that's from her writings. Yeah. I don't remember if this uh, crow scene is from that also. I it definitely know me. it's not from the Gospels. That's yeah, because sure. unless Mel Gibson just wanted to add something bananas, yeah. you know, himself, it, it may have been added to it, you know, because, you know, why not punish the guy who refuses... You know why yeah. can't why not have us visualize something horrible happening to him for not believing? Well, I mean, and why why look up, dude? Don't look up. Look, he keeps looking up. It's it's come on, look down, dude. He he did that to himself, if you ask me. Well, again, he's <laughs> if you understand crucifixion, you'd realize this guy's suffering enough. There's really no need to add a gratuitous right. eye plucking scene. Yeah. It just, it just doesn't make sense that a guy would just keep looking up. <laughs> no, no, being out no, by, by nothing, a crow. nothing about that whole scene makes sense. 
And uh, even if a crow was, a Roman soldier definitely wouldn't care. Yeah, he's like, it's, yeah, of course crows are going to show up. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe that's an example of what you're talking about. Overly sympathetic yeah. Romans. These guys are executioners. They, they, execute. they do this all every week. <laughs> and it, who knows that it was only just three. It could very well have been more than three mm-hmm. on this event, and for sure in their lifetime. And, yeah. Again, they're doing their job. Sure. But that's the job that they do. The sky darkens. Is this uh, biblically accurate? Biblically, the gospel writers write that it was darkness over the land for three hours. While he was on the cross, right? Yes, while he he died? No. Yeah. I forget, uh, I think that I wanted to bring something up, but I think it escapes my mind. Uh, something about other depictions of the gospel, of the, the Bible, but... Oh, well, the the whole idea that um, how... So, all these movies are making a ton of money. Uh, Christian films are being done for a couple hundred thousand dollars, and they're making a couple of million. Yeah. Not huge numbers, but certainly a profit. This yeah. one... Uh, I, I mentioned before in the uh, in the coming attractions that it's, it was the highest grossing R-rated film of all time until really? Deadpool beat it. Yeah, wow. uh, major studios don't like to make rated R movies because they don't make as much money as PG-13. Yeah. Right, uh, and so a lot of times they actually make really incredibly brutal, violent movies PG-13. Yeah, <laughs> so that teens can go see them on Friday nights. And they can make more money. They can make more money, but yeah, uh, they they try to avoid uh, too many R R rated movies because they don't make as much money. Not as many people can go and see them. Yeah. But so this was a very you know profitable movie, and so secular studios have been wanting to make mm-hmm. biblical movies. They made Noah, and they make the they made the Exodus, and. They flopped. Yeah. They did not make very much money because I think they wanted they want to have their cake and eat it too. They want to make right. a Christian movie for Christians, but right. they also don't want to offend the secular world. So right. they kind of make it more of a fantasy. They right. kind of downplay God. They they make it a God, but it's not so Christiany. Right. right. And they fail. Right. Of course. And so, but if you have like a movie like this, where it's no, this is. Biblical. This is from the Bible. And not, again, we've been discussing whether it's... You right, know. well, it's following a tradition that, you know, probably a a sixth of the world's population believes actually happened. Right, but I mean, what I'm saying is that this is, Jesus is real, God is real. That's what this right. movie is saying. The crucifixion then, is real, and then these all these events, not all Christians, but half of Christianity believes all these Right. Associated events not found in scripture are also real. Right. So there's that's that's for me that I think that's that's the big part of it is right. They want to see what they believe in their mind and what they've heard. They want to see it acted out. Sure. And then you have like uh, something we're, a movie we're going to do in, in the future. Uh, what what is it? Um, uh, the the Prince of Egypt. Which is, again, it's an animated movie, but it got huge uh, positive reviews. It had a lot of, you know, it was just very well received. And in that movie, it's clear that God is real. 
Right. God actually existed. And so I, what I'm saying is that if you try to make a, a film, not, not just for Christians, but even for just a secular uh, viewer, just make a, just make it a Christian movie and just make a really, really good one. And Christians are going to love it, but also non-Christians might take to it as well. Because a good movie is a good movie. And even if you're saying that God is real and Jesus really existed or David or whatever movie you want to make, if you're going to make the Exodus movie, make the Exodus movie. You know, don't make a, a watered-down version of the Exodus right. for, every, for everyone because then no one's going to want to see it. Right. It's like they, they talk about that in comedy. Jay Leno was more successful, but he was like a joke in the comedy world. Because yeah. he was very bland. He was very much for everyone. Right. He said, you can't alienate half your audience. Right. And people were like, no, you, the more specific you are, the more people will, will relate to you. The more a certain group will relate to but you. But I think that... And that's the limitation. But that's the thing is that, yeah, maybe, but I think that you're still going to relate to more people if you make something more personal. Mm -hmm. Because everyone's right. experienced personal things. You're not going to get every single person... But more people than you think are going to relate to it. And right. if you make a biblical movie that's pretty accurate, if it's a good one, then people are still going to go and see it. You right. know? And so I think that's what, uh, you know, it's not like producers are so out of touch. Producers are so out of touch that they're not going to listen to little old me. Beautiful scene here. Yeah. I actually really love this. The, uh, the uh, I think they call it the God's Eye View, but this raindrop. Mm-hmm. Gorgeous. That, that, yeah, that's just artistically gorgeous. I, I just love this. Yeah. I guess God's, God's tear. God currently, you know. Very interesting. That's an interesting reaction to a drop of water. Yeah. <laughs> no, I remember in the Ben Hur movie where it's like raining. Um, this kind of reminded me of that, but just this one drop, and I wasn't sure. Again, I didn't no clue the significance of of that drop. Is it supposed to be a tear from God or just a drop of rain? Yeah, I would imagine it is. And then the earthquake, which is biblical. Yeah, uh, well, getting right that part is biblical. Um, getting back to what you were saying about the the movies, you know, like when they they make the Noah movie that's based off of the Enoch literature. You know, nobody. Nobody believes the Enoch literature. <laughs> Christians don't. Right. Jews don't. Um, seculars don't. And even if but I, seculars I mean, don't believe in any of it. Right. But they disbelieve the Enoch literature just as much as they disbelieve the biblical literature. So there's no. You're, I mean, it's yeah, you're right. It's it's appealing to a small audience. If they have done a biblical. Uh, version of it, they would have had a lot of people that were interested. Obviously not, but not everybody would be interested. But, right, right, right. But there's lots of movies, and people that do care about it would have been interested. So yeah, I mean, I, I think you make a good point. Because if you make a, I think if you do make a big budget Christian film, it would it would get more of an audience than a small budget Christian film from a small Christian uh, production company. Pure yeah. Flix keeps making these movies. They don't make more than a couple million, which is still a profit for them. Yeah. Because they're they're so. But if you make a major Christian film, I think that it would do really well. 
Right. Because a good movie is a good movie. And yeah. even non-Christians would go see it, I think. Yeah, well, I think they used to do that. Like, they made The Robe. They made Quo Vadis. Um, and again, these are like this movie. Uh, and like Ben-Hur. Mm -hmm. They're not... You know, they're based off books that were added a whole other fantasy element to the stories. Sure. Um, but... You know, there, there were books that people enjoyed that that were popular at, at one point that people really liked. And so, you know, if you take something like that, that's a book that people actually read. Nobody's read the Enoch literature except mm -hmm. for a few, you know, scholars. <laughs> but so not a lot of people relate to it. But, yeah, you do. A lot of people read Ben-Hur. I did as a book report in, in high school. Hmm. So, yeah, you know, it was cool to see the movie, even though it deviated a lot from the book. But sure. at least... You know, like there was a reason why I would want to see that movie. And so, yeah, same thing with The Robe. My, I haven't read The Robe, but my sister has. And, you know, just from what she told me about it, like, yeah, I, I would want to watch that movie. It was, I think it was made back in the 60s or 50s. I don't remember. Right. But I would like to see it. Uh, a friend of mine showed, started showing me Quo Vadis. And even though, again, it's totally fantasy. But at least there's it was well made. And sure. There's elements of it that it is interesting, so it, I like I I, I want to see it. I gotta I haven't I, we never saw the end of it, but I there, like there's to. there's this movie that I really I wanted to like it more, but I think the budget was too small. And like once Jesus came back, it resurrected. It was like kind of corny, mm. but uh, a movie called Risen. Yeah, I saw that. Where it's like uh, yeah, I it was like a gr what a great idea, and it was really really good. Yeah, you know, as low budget as it was, right. not some some actors weren't that great. I think that the main cast was actually pretty good. Yeah, but this idea that a Roman centurion was tasked to find the body yeah. of the Jesus because they stole it to start a revolution. Yeah, and so he has to go look at a bunch of dead bodies to find. Yeah, you know, and he and he saw him dead. He right. saw him buried. He actually tied <laughs> ropes to the rocks so that nobody could move them. Yeah, and then. You know, the body disappears, so he has to, a non-believer, doesn't believe this guy resurrected. He right. saw him dead. Yeah. So he has to go, that's just an intro, really great idea. I think, again, after, I like you said, I like a personal Jesus. Yeah. So when Jesus comes back, he's kind of always at a distance. He's not very right friendly. Like he, he, not that he's not friendly, but he's not as, as like, hey, I'm back, guys, like, you know, we're buddies. Yeah, it's it's it is very much not like there's a disconnect between him and the the. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I wish that they they could have done that better, but right. still a great idea. And if that would have been done by a major studio, I think it would have been yeah gangbusters in the box office. I think it would have done really really well because it's just a good story. Right. And yes, Jesus is real in that movie. Right. I think people can overlook that because it's such a compelling story. Yeah. Right, and it was well done and well made. Um, again, there a lot of things I disagree with, a lot of inaccuracies, but just overall in terms of story, yeah, I was entertained and I, yeah. I enjoyed the story. And my wife and I, we, you know, there were things about it that, that we liked. So I did like this. I was really happy watching the movie for the first time and seeing, oh, they did put the resurrection right um, for a brief second. <laughs> um, they don't just leave you with the torture on the cross. Right. Um, 
Yeah, I think I wrote this down here that Mel Gibson said that this is a movie about, oh man, where did I put it here? About faith. Yeah, I, I guess I, I didn't, uh, I don't, can't find it here, but a movie about faith, hope, love, and uh, uh, forgiveness. Did you see that? Um, in this well again if you have the background you understand that Jesus died so we can be forgiven of our sins then yes you can say I see the forgiveness because not in the movie but because of what I know about why he did this Um, yeah you're right in terms of forgiveness you don't really see it in the movie only slightly I guess with that scene with Peter going to Mary which again is not a biblical scene but from the meditation um, you see that um, he comes back so I guess that's hope it's hope, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, again, I think it's what you bring into it. People right. have already their background, knowledge, and beliefs, and perception of Jesus, and that's going to affect the way. And for Mel, you know, he has his tradition and, and the way that he views Jesus. And so I, in his mind, even though those things didn't directly come out, I'm sure he can't help but visualize and portray these things with those things in mind. Yeah. So, as a ministry tool, a good movie. Because um, again, like we can we can argue about how like it's inaccurate. It's not. I certainly you know have a lot of problems with it. Yeah. But it's moved a lot of people. Oh yeah, and, and it, so God can use this totally. And so I, I think that's why a lot of Christians do like it is because of the parts. There are certain parts that are deeply moving and that really help you connect with what Jesus actually went through. Like the scourging scene. Sure. Like I, that was just one of the most powerful scenes in the movie for me. Right. Because, like I said, to visualize everything that I had heard and imagined in my mind and to see it and like, yes, somebody is putting it out there, putting on film. And it is one of the most brutal scenes in the movie. Yeah. It is hard to watch. Yeah. Especially at the very end when you see the damage done to his yeah. body. It is right. brutal. There's that. And, and again, the other passages with with mary which again uh they help you personalize and relate and uh connect i said passages i meant scenes with mary they help you connect and and see the the human side of jesus and and what he's gone through so i i think there's that's why christians like it um even non-catholics right um christians really enjoy it because of that, yeah, and again, they have they've never been exposed to this kind of depiction of Jesus' right. punishment. And again, if you're coming at this with Jesus died for me because he loves me, he loved me so much that he was willing to go through this, and then you see this powerful, brutal, like you know, I keep saying brutal, but that's what it is, depiction of his crucifixion. Yeah, then that makes it that much more moving for you. That this happened for love instead right. of, look what right. you made Jesus do, which is yeah. what many Catholics uh, experience. Right. And so. again, like for me, if if I am making a film about uh, biblical events, I'm going to want to portray the biblical events as they happen. Sure. So that means there's, I mean, I'm not... And maybe I should say as they happen and as they portray in the text. Like, in the text, when they talks about, you know, someone being raped or someone having a child, yeah, they, that's the terminology they use. It's not 
pornographic in any way. It's just a statement of that's what happened. Right. So same thing in the film. I'm going to show that it happened without necessarily um, showing showing it happened. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, in terms of the violence, or in terms of something that's icky, you know, like somebody pooping or whatever, <laughs> um, you know, there's ways of showing it without necessarily, but I think in terms of the violence, I, I guess I don't, since the Bible is very, states it matter-of-factly, mm-hmm. I don't see it necessarily as a bad thing to portray it in, in, right. in the movie. Again, I, I think that Christians need to start embracing more graphic depictions of uh, maybe not this graphic, but certainly more realistic depictions of maybe sin. I don't, I, I mean, as much as I try to defend some nude scenes in movies, I can't imagine, which is something I have to wrestle with now, because I can't imagine a Christian film ever using nudity. I don't see how they could. And, but then now now I'm saying that, well, but if it's a secular movie, then it's okay because it works for it. So now I have to wrestle with the idea of, well, right. is it why is it okay for a secular movie but not okay for a Christian film? So I have to kind of, you know, kind of figure that out myself. But if if this movie is so powerful and moving, then Christians should move in that direction and being more realistic without... And it's, again, it's possible to show scenes without showing the actual thing happening. Right. But just be more realistic and honest about what's happening. Right. And And that's the tricky part, too, is because do you want kids to see it? Now, I know for this film... But not every kid has to see. Right. But I'm saying, (laughs) as violent as it is, a lot of people were like, you know, people who wouldn't normally let their kids watch an R-rated movie were totally fine with their kid watching this movie because they want their kid to actually be able to see and visualize what Jesus went through. Right. And so, you know, or even church camps that don't normally show R-rated movies to to, to kids, they're like, oh, this one we can't. You know, and... (laughs) You know, I, I understand why. I understand why they would say, in this case, this is something where you should know what was done specifically for you. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. And it, it, I don't know. It's it's like, uh, yeah, because it, it's more complicated than what the normal question is of, like, you know, well, they're, they're not okay with horror movies, but they're okay with this. It's more complicated than that. Right. It, because this is something that's a part of their faith, a part of our unbelief and right. understanding. And, again, you know, I, I don't know. I certainly enjoy horror movies, like I said before. I don't think everybody should watch horror movies if you can't handle right. it. There are right. movies that I can't handle yeah. that I just don't see because I know that either it's going to be too tempting for me to, uh, you know, to see a... A certain scene. There's some movies that are very sexual that I'm just not affected by at all. Yeah. But there are scenes that there are movies that I know what they have and I I'm not, not interested. Right. Even if they are great movies and everybody says I, I I'd rather skip that one. Mm-hmm. Um. And so yeah. Again, it's it's like I don't know. We're gonna do a horror movie sometime in the future, and so we're gonna have that discussion then, whether it's uh, edifying or be you know so yeah. Yeah, so anyways, so that's the end of the movie. Uh, anything else you wanted to mention um, before we go? Just, again, that overall, uh, I enjoyed the movie, and um, I just, I think that for my, when I saw it with my friends, you know, it was with my Jewish friend, with 
my atheist friend, um, and a few other believers, and we all got something out of it. Like we all had a greater appreciation for, oh, that's cool. for just the tradition and, and for what it is, even if you don't believe or you understand it, you at least have a better understanding of what it is that so powerfully motivates a third of the world's population. Right. All right, cool. So um, do you have any social media you want people to find you at? Or I know that you're not like an author or writer. You don't have stuff to plug, but did you, if you have any? Um, You know, I I am just rarely posting anything on social media lately. I've just been too busy with the kids. Sure. Um, I would like to start uh, start doing more. I mean, our church, Assembly of Christians, is on Facebook. Um, is it downychristians.org? Downychristians.org is our website. If you're interested in learning more about our church and in the area you'd like to stop in, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, we're not too frequent on updating anything on the website, <laughs> but at least to give you an idea of where we're at. Yeah, the times about. and the address and all yeah. are there. Any of your Twitter, maybe, or you you good with that? You're not. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean everything. If you if you want to follow, I, I'm not. If, I guess it's Twitter. I'm not gonna add. I only add people on Facebook that I'm friends with. Okay. That actually. Oh you know, yeah, personally. no, no Facebook unless it's like um, a page that you know you're. Right, and same thing with Instagram. In terms of Twitter, um, yeah, I'll I'll let anybody follow me if you want to follow me at Thropizzle. Uh, yeah, that, on Twitter, then you can follow me. I, I yeah, that'll be in the show notes. So yeah. Okay. So there you go. Sounds good. So thanks for being here. This was awesome. Uh, yeah, the very first you. episode in the bag. Awesome. Uh, with a doozy. <laughs> I thought I'd start off with a bang, so great conversation here. Thank you. Ad, so we really appreciate you guys listening. You Thanks everyone, for having me. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thecommentarians. Find us on Twitter at twitter.com slash thecommentspod. On Instagram at instagram.com slash thecommentarianspod. And you can email us, uh, thecommentarianspod at gmail.com. Um, I guess that's it. Um have nothing else to say. Uh, except one thing Ernest Hemingway once wrote the world is a fine place and worth fighting for I agree with the second part you've been listening to the Commentarians podcast a Raven Creek Social Club production don't forget to follow us on Facebook Twitter and Instagram if you like what you heard please leave us a review on iTunes if you'd like to support our show visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash thecommentarians Thank you for listening, and until next time, remember, movies are a reflection of our lives and of other people's lives, and we get to experience them together. Come back to the movies with us. We love sharing them with you.